106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. The left will accuse President Trump of racism no matter what. But this week, their stated excuse is the president's Twitter attack on NBR star LeBron James. This president traffics in racism. These are no longer racial dog whistles. These are foghorns. The people of color who are attacked by their fellow citizens who feel emboldened to be publicly racist because the president is. All righty. Well, Candace Owens is with Turning Point USA. She joins us now. Welcome aboard. Great to be sitting across the table from you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And this is kind of nice. And normally, if you're talking to Tucker, you'd be in a in a box of satellite. But here we are in <laughs> studio. Look, uh, you're a young African-American woman. You hear everybody talking about racism. We know racism exists. Correct. And yet, with this constant harangue on the president, a man who has clearly improved the quality of lives for African-Americans, the unemployment rate at historical lows, everybody having more money in their pocket, that really adds to personal freedom. What is your reaction to this kind of response to a president who actually said to a lot of people that they're dumb, white and black? What, how do you respond to all of this? That's the exact key that you just said. So the left has been operating under this very bizarre assumption that you can't critique a black person in this country uh, unless it makes you automatically racist. That's ridiculous. That's false. I'm critiqued every day. Um, usually I'm called a porch monkey, um, and I'm referred to as a lot of racial slurs um, in my Twitter feed uh, because I'm a conservative black thinker. Mm -hmm. The idea that you can't think somebody has has a low IQ, approvably low IQ. Maxine Waters is not a smart person. Um, you can't say that because she's black. You know, that's ridiculous. So president insults a lot of people, black, white, Hispanic. He is definitely not looking at color when he talks to someone. Mm. And quite frankly, the way that LeBron conducted himself in that interview, and I don't want to take away from what he did, opening the school was an incredible, um, right. something a person in the room, as Trump said. Don Lemon knew what he was doing for CNN. He wanted LeBron to say something about the president. They couldn't right. have cared less about the school opening. That's a great they point. were there to get that five-second soundbite to get him to say something nasty about the president, and that was going to be their news story. Unfortunately, he's brilliant on the court. He does not understand how to you operate know, that, That's the obsession, is that the media has abandoned its, its job of informing Americans about a whole host of amazing things that are going on, including uh, the issue of jo the jobs reports, the nature of what the tax cuts have done. This improves the quality of lives for, for everyone, but you don't want to hear about that. They only want to hear about things if it's negative about about the president. Uh, at the same time, you know, we are in, a, in a, a racialist dynamic where race issues are used politically. And LeBron James said, and this is everyone's right, that he, if sports is not enough for him. He wants to make a difference in the world. That's what, why we're here. We want to do that as well. Um, it, for him also, though, to accuse the president of trying to divide us and using the NFL take a knee protests, aren't those protests the dividing line? And isn't the president defending uh, effectively the country against that kind of racial division? Uh, that's exactly correct. And look, I would welcome a dialogue with LeBron James. I, uh, He is in this regard, an ignorant man. Okay, he does not understand this. I'm not going to refer to him as uneducated, but I am going to refer to him as ignorant. He knows very little, very little about politics. But that's really the rhetoric, though, everywhere within the black community. That is generally. But Would you listen, agree? The reason about why the they, they really hung on to this and why CNN wanted to get LeBron James and they wanted.
wanted him, you know, they essentially attacked him without him knowing it. And they used him to get this out is because what was also released at the same time, the Rasmussen poll, black support for Donald Trump has right. doubled uh, since last year at this exact same time. That's right. So their rhetoric to 29 percent. It's a remarkable transition. Yeah. Um, so black people aren't believing this anymore. So they're thinking, yeah. what are we going to do? They go back to what they always do. They bring a black idol and they have the black idol say to the community, oh, no, 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 this is racist and hope that we're going to be sleeping and we're going to believe it. But we aren't anymore, well, I think, you know, LeBron James, is, a, is he's a smart guy. Yes. Uh, and I think perhaps maybe the president uh, should invite him to the White House. Yeah, I would and have a look, conversation. If that's too much for LeBron James, I would love to sit down with him and explain to him why the black community yeah, is responding he's, he's, and why we like this He's a curious guy. He's a smart guy. He cares about the community. And I think all of this is a distraction. There's too much that we all have to do. Absolutely. So great. Great job. Nice talking to you, Candace. All right. Welcome. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostage, Hostages Radio. And uh, if you just stumbled onto us after looking for where, what became of us from out there in uh, East Linda, we are on a podcast now as opposed to on the AMFM radio, and different ones are finding us uh, because we never really made an announcement when we left, but you're listening to No Hostages Radio, which replaced live with Lou once upon a time. So uh, our last uh, show on the normal radio would have been in uh, third week or fourth week of January, and then we went off the air. So uh, thank you for finding us, and this is going to be kind of the same format that we did uh, on the AM-FM, except you don't hear a lot of the commercials that we were uh, playing out there and so that actually the times used more efficiently. The commercials you hear are commercials that I've included, either that have a philosophical bent to them, educational, or people that are supporting us. So um, we hope you're doing good, and you're if this all worked out right, you're listening to us on Saturday, on the twentieth. And uh, obviously, if you're familiar with this format, some people are asking me, hey, how do I actually get to there and do this? So you just go to uh, if you're listening, obviously, you figured something out. So you can tell your friends, just go to nohostagesradio.com or they could go to the uh, wherever your app store is. Uh, I guess Google and iTunes both have have allowed us to connect with them. So you can go there and just put in No Hostages Radio, and that should pop up, and you can listen on whatever device you you please at any time, and it should be good quality, uh, as opposed to what we struggle with for a number of years. So that said, uh, if you want to reach out to me somehow, you could always dial me up at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838, if you want to make a comment or uh whatever you want to do you can text me or whatever or you can go to lou l-o-u at nohostagesradio.com well thanks for all your comments i've been getting some feedback from uh some of the folks that found their way over from radio to podcast and appreciate your comments and your your advice and your encouragement uh 
I want to thank the guys. Uh, I'll thank them on the way, but I'll start off by Monty Hecker. Monty Hecker with uh, Elite Universal Security has been a huge encourager uh, of this show and helps us financially and also uh, gets the word out. Uh, Monty's a local business owner, uh, previously served in the Air Force, just a really great guy. And uh, Elite Universal Security serves uh, people, the public up and down the valley in what we call the state of Jefferson, but still called California legally. And uh, there's about 24 counties up here in the North State that we think of as what possibly could be the state of Jefferson one day. And Monty serves Yuba, Sutter, Butte, and up into Shasta County. And he's looking for workers, so you can give him a shout-out, and uh, you could actually get trained by him. And you can reach him at 530-749-0280. Again, 530-749-0280. He's located in Yuba County uh, at 5548 Federal Boulevard. And we are also are broadcasting out of Yuba County. That's where we broadcast out of uh, previously on the radio. So uh, the cool thing about Monty's operation is they provide... Uh, Use some security, obviously, and some uh, strategies on how you can protect your stuff and keep people out of your business when you have the doors locked or your house. And But they also do a lot of cool classes, and they're constantly, like at least twice a month, they're, they're teaching people how to use their handguns, getting them a weapons permit, and then recertifying people. So their next event coming up on uh, april 27th and 28th uh and so you can check that out sign up for it they also have a taser and pepper spray class on may 4 uh that uh you can you can connect with so if you have any questions the other thing that i like that is a service that that uh is you can get it but it's a live scan uh and a lot of times you need live scan for all kinds of things being a foster parent or whatever and the sheriff's departments do it, but sometimes they just have a couple hours at certain times of the week where you got to slide in there. But with Monty, you can go in there pretty much any time. And also they do a, a mobile uh, notary service for folks. So that's that's a huge value when you're, again, you're working your rear off out there trying to make, make some dollars and you want to uh, do some business and you need a notary, they'll come to you. So uh, thank you, Monty, very much for that. Well, um, I've been talking some the last week. We talked about this situation at Yuba County Office of Education. That's the county uh, the educational system as opposed to the various school districts in Yuba County. And they had a situation where it's really not come out on what happened between a 41-year-old teacher and a 17-year-old detained youth at Juvenile Hall. But it sounded kind of romantic, and uh, there's all kinds of stories, like maybe she passed on nude photographs, and, and maybe they had sexual relations, but it really never has come out. She hasn't been arrested. She just got put on administrative leave, and uh, what it's brought up to me is, like, do they vet teachers anymore? You know, back in the old days when you had the one-room schoolhouse, you would hear how difficult it was to pick a teacher because they because really more is caught than taught. And so you can have a person that's bright, but is morally corrupt, like this teacher was possibly over at Yuba County Office of Education. So uh, she not only, uh, the word got out that she was having some sort of relations with this underage kid, but when he got moved over to 
uh, U- the Yuba County Jail once he became an adult, 18 years of age, uh, and he was uh, dealing, he pled out on a, a murder situation, as several young men did. So he had to go out over to Yuba County Jail to wait to move to prison. She went over there and arranged to marry him. And I'm not quite sure who was going to get the benefits out of that or whether it was going to be mutual. But uh, the, the story is that this teacher was sort of a free spirit. And it, it, it's interesting when you have children and you want your kids to be taught by a teacher who not only bright, but is a person of character and uh and not weird and so this woman actually thought she was reincarnated and was once the mother of jesus and uh she was a frequent attender of the burning man festivities over nevada and there's i guess there's videos on the uh, internet of her doing her thing and so uh the question uh, that we began to ask uh, although there's investigation going on is who exactly checks the background of these teachers and are they just are they so desperate at the yuba county office of education that they'll take anybody in fact somebody said that it was difficult and maybe she never did produce a teaching certif- certificate which is i think kind of fascinating as well but a couple of years ago i don't know it was 2015 or 16 we had a 26 year old uh, young woman teacher that uh, was actually having sexual relations with a 15 year old guy and i mentioned uh, last week and maybe the year the week before about if you want to go on uh, worldnetdaily.com i actually wrote an article for the territorial dispatch you can go check that out online territorialdispatch.biz i wrote an article of of just the downfall of our california school system and you know uh anybody can have a person work for them whether it's a church or or a business a school or whatever and they look good on their resume and they interview well but they got a moral uh they got a moral quirk to them and you don't see that coming because it's hidden in their in their brain or their spirit and it comes out somewhere and so that happens in every profession it happens in law enforcement really again every profession and so the what you hope for as I've talked to sheriffs before about this situation or police chiefs is, is you hope for a good system to root out people that are not people of character of all, of all the things or of all the people and the qualities that you would hope you're going to, you're going to submit your child to. I was always interested in having a teacher that was just a lovely person and an honest person and had their head on straight and was not uh, running around hitting the bars at night and doing the wild thing because really kids pick up on what's going on and uh, it has an effect on their their lives and so what what i began to look at when i looked at the world net daily you can look at that website and you can and, and you can search out they've written articles of all these accounts of teachers throughout the united states primarily females that are having sex with young men uh even elementary age kids and uh it's it's uh should be sobering uh for a lot of older people uh they remember how school used to be but a lot of young parents are coming up and they're maybe they're not thinking about this but they you think oh well i can just trust uh, my kids to the school Uh, those days are far gone where you can just trust your kids to the school and they're going to do the right thing 
So uh, this incident uh, brought up, like, where are we in our public schools right now? And uh, because what even uh, made matters worse is that to fill this teacher's spot at Yuba County Office of Education, they hired an instructor that had spent 20 to 25 years in the Yuba City Unified School System, uh, and he had repeated uh, accusations from women. Uh, all of them, when the accusations began, they were teenagers, but now they're women that are 30 and 40 years of age, uh, or 30 and up into their 30s. And they said, hey, me too. You know, it happened to me. But I, some of them said I took it to the administration. I did this. I did that. But the fact is nobody cared. Nobody did anything. And I don't know uh, whether you've ever worked with, with youngsters who have been violated, sexually violated, but uh, they are pretty intimidated by adults. Adults look like they have all the power and teenagers have no power. So they're skeptical or fearful that going to the principal or going to anyone, whether it will actually turn out where they're protected. And so that's what happened, say, with Jim Whitaker, who was uh, fired from Yuba City Unified and and his attorney, Marquez, uh, Mr. Marquez claimed, oh, well, when we get into court, all these accusations are going to come to nothing because uh, we're going to expose them and we're going to be really hard on them. Right. They, they use what they call the slut or nut defense, and they either make the person look like they're loose living or they're mentally ill. Slut or nut defense. It's a common defense. People use a term for it. So but the fact is that Whitaker and his attorney did not defend uh, themselves against it, against this issue, and they moved on. But I guess f- for the average person in, in the Yuba Center area, maybe in America, you would think that a teacher who had had repeated accusations from different generations of females would have been eliminated from the teaching profession, period. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, I just thought that. But when uh, Mr. Whitaker got down to the state, who I guess is in charge of the credentialing of teachers, they did not remove his credential. So in other words, if somebody wanted to take a chance on him, not just a principal take a chance on him, but all the parents and all the children, uh, then then he's good to go. And so there's been rumors of him working or people uh, mentioning him being working in the Yuba not the Yuba City Unified System, but the Sutter and up in Live Oak. And uh, now he's over here at uh, Yuba County Office of Education teaching some of the most high-risk kids we have. Uh, so I, I think what I'm more interested in, in in these kind of stories is where our public edu- education system is uh, morally. And it's fascinating how uh, so I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, we Lou, anymore, you can't, you can't delve into people's backgrounds like that. And I thought, man, uh, I don't want my kid. If I had kids today, I would not want them in a, a school where I couldn't look at the background of the person, the teacher and see who they are, you know, like, are they married? Do they go to church? You know, what do they do? You know, do they go, are they a dancer and are they a nude dancer at the burning man deal taking LSD? Uh, that would make a difference to me on what they were teaching my kid and what kind of values. So, um, I, I remember James Dobson, uh, the psychologist who had a, a very, uh, well-known and widely distributed radio show, uh, he was operating out of Southern California, 
and he was talking about the value of keeping kids at home as long, long as you can with the mother because uh, kids absorb their, their value system, their norms and values from mom and listening to her and watching her and watching her temperament and watching whether she gets angry and, or how she deals with difficulty and, and uh, catching a whole lifestyle and the language from mom. So he said, don't, you know, Dobson used to say, don't worry about holding your kids back and sending them in like at first grade. Uh, and, but there was a whole different temperament and a whole different set of ethics uh, b- behind school when he was talking about it. And now it just seems that that's gone and you can't ever question the teachers. You can't fire a teacher. In other words, if you, I always thought if a guy did something sexual to a kid, that would be about it. But it seems like it's not anymore. So, uh, so the word has not come out about this teacher. Uh, I heard that, you know, she married him at the Yuba County jail and now she's trying to divorce him. So it sounds like a pretty confused person. I would say I spent, I think three or four terms on the Yuba County board. I would be a little flared up over this situation if, if I was on that board. And, uh, I'm just wondering what in the world, I know the human resources, uh, director is retiring now. I'm just, I just thought they would catch something like this. Uh, and I just thought they would know something. If a person's on, on the internet, I would, in fact, this is interesting. I, I was asked because I run the trauma intervention program. I was asked to go, uh, they had a bomb threat at, at the, at Yuba college had a campus in Davis, a junior college campus. And so they had a bomb threat over there. It turned out to not really be a bomb threat or bomb, but it was a threat. And so people were upset and they asked me on behalf of trauma intervention, I'd go down if I'd go down there and do a debriefing on people that were upset and help them just to talk about the issue. And so when I got down there, this is, this is your campus today, folks, uh, no charge, just going down to change my schedule to go down there and provide a courtesy debriefing that we would do for law enforcement or fire. I went down there and the, uh, the, the president of the school or that campus asked me to come into her office and said, Hey, we, we have a little situations come up. I said, Oh, what would that be? And she said, well, people have been doing some research on you on the internet. Some of our, our uh, faculty and they don't want you involved here. So, uh, we didn't, so it's up to them, you know, they're kind of running the show here and, uh, how that, however, if students want to come and talk to you, uh, we've told them that you can go over in room such and such and hang out. So I went over in room such and such. Hardly anybody came in. It was a waste of time, waste of my money cost to come over there. But it's so interesting that here teachers can vet me and they didn't like something they saw about me on the internet, although I was trying to come over and help them with a trauma situation. But yeah, we can't, we can't vet a teacher or teachers that are working in our public school system and see if they got some gnarly background, uh, and decide, I don't want to, I don't, maybe we should pass on this person. So that's that. Um, let me mention this, that I got, yeah, it's interesting the way the, uh, media is handling Islam versus Christianity. I don't know whether you caught that story about some guy throwing a young boy off the balcony uh, in this mall. I don't know it was back in Minnesota. It's called the Mall of America. 
and multi-story. So there was, you know, you see these, I've been in them over in Asia. You just, you can walk around the whatever level. You can look down all the way down to the bottom from different walking areas in the mall. And so this guy goes into the mall and he tosses, uh, grabs a boy randomly and tosses a five-year-old white kid, uh, took him from his mother and tossed him off the third story balcony uh, trying to kill him. Didn't even know the people, supposedly. And so you think, wow, what kind of person would do that? You know, and then it, but, but the rest of the story doesn't get told. So then when some news, news, uh, alternative news people come up with this, the fact that he was a Muslim, a Somali Muslim, then the mainstream media who didn't want to even bring up who he was, he's a black guy, right? Now, normally we can only bring up colors if it's somebody, a black person getting hurt rather than a white person getting hurt. So in this case, this is a Somali Muslim who had, who had done uh, improper things at the mall before. And so he, he has mentioned, this guy throws this boy off. He survived, but he's pretty banged up, broken up, head injuries. But the guy turns out to be uh, so a Somali Muslim. And Somalia, uh, we had our military over there. Uh, they've, had, they've had wars over there, civil wars. Some of our people, military people, have been killed over there. But I read, I, I kind of researched this and found out that the mainstream media went back and said, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't be calling him a Somali Muslim. He was actually born in August 1994 in Illinois, according to birth records. Well, his name's Emmanuel Aranda, 24, and he was charged with attempted premeditated first-degree murder in the April 12th attack. He's got two prior convictions for assault at the mall. This guy likes to assault people at this mall, both in 2015. Uh, so, but whether or not he's a recent immigrant or his parents probably were the immigrants, but in this area of Minnesota, they, the government of the United States populated that area with the thousands of Somali, Somali people and they're Muslims. So this didn't used to make a big difference except with the fact that these terrorists all turn out to be Muslims. And maybe this guy has got a, uh, maybe he's a few cards short of a full deck. He got some mental issues. I don't know, but he's making a habit of going over to the mall and trying to do dastardly acts. But again, just like the Yuba County office of education, this one teacher being a screwball to me, isn't the issue. It's like, Hey, who's running the show? Like I talking to somebody the other day, at what point are we going to like agree that we're the adults and however society's looking or turning out, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror. So when I look at the Yuba County Office of Education, where I spent a dozen years or so trying to do what I could to volunteer my time there and make it a good good school and keep keeping the ship straight up, it's just fascinating where where now the media will protect any kind of Muslim activity that is screwy. But if this was just reversed and it was a guy, a white guy that tossed a Muslim kid off the railing. And even if this guy didn't go to church and he was a white guy, they would probably ask him, do you believe in God? And he might say, yeah, 
Well, that would actually be the reason they could write then this guy's a Christian and he tried to kill a Muslim boy. That's that's just how that would play out. There's a double standard. And so Muslims get a wide berth here and and whether they commit terrorist acts, well, you know, they had reasons. They had issues in their life when they were growing up with Christians or something like that. But the fact is, uh, they didn't work that way. And uh, my point is that there's two standards on how we're dealing with news in this country. One is uh, protect the Muslims. And the other is, is throw Christian people under the bus. And so you can follow this. The boy suffered head trauma and multiple broken bones after being thrown nearly 40 feet by Emmanuel Aranda, 24, a Somali Muslim. So um, I wanted to thank Dave Greenitz. Dave is another one of our sponsors. And it's almost like every other week he's posting on Facebook all these incredible before and after pictures of these kitchens and bathrooms. And uh, I, I am just totally, I mean, I've known this guy for 40 years. And when he started out, he was just learning carpentry back in the day, right? Now he's one of the top uh, remodeling operators in the valley. I mean, the, the, the people he's put together to put together these homes, redo these homes, is just fantastic. And uh, so... If you're interested in having a look at some of his work, maybe you thought, oh, maybe I, we ought to be at a bigger house, do this, do that. But maybe, you know, we almost have this one paid for. Or we really like the neighbors. Maybe it's just you need to upgrade your kitchen or you want to add a deck. He's, he does decks, kitchens, bathrooms. Maybe you need to upgrade the front door. I just saw Greg Davey. Uh, He's the painter that does a lot of work, Davey Davey, uh, Painting. He does a lot of work for Dave Grinnett's construction, and he he showed a shot of a a really beautiful front door he just redid. And he said, I always love to have a door that just leaps out on the front of the house. And so uh, Dave Grinnett has been involved here for many, many years in this area. He's not going anywhere. He has lots of repeat customers. And in fact, during the downturn in the economy, he just kept working because he had so many return customers. You can reach Dave at 682-9602-530, area code 530-682-9602. The cool thing is if you go to his website, greenettsconstruction.com, green with E-T-Z on the end, you can look at all these amazing uh, photos, not of just photos he grabbed and thought, oh, that's a cool architectural, you know, from some architectural magazine. These are actually photos from his jobs, and you can say, hey, that's unbelievable what they did right there. So, and you can go on his website and you can shoot him an email. And if you want to just keep your distance, if you, if you're a, particularly if you're a millennial and you can't talk to people, you can't have a conversation. You just want to do it all through technology. Greenitz can handle you. So uh, check that out. Um, all right. So. Let me get my computer working here. It's like frozen or something. Here we go. All right. So every week now, you can watch stories about the homeless in every city in the United States. In fact, there's a I watched a a documentary on Seattle. Baby, 
you know, Seattle's kind of a cool place. You know, that's Microsoft, a lot of techie operations up there. It's like a beautiful city, a lot of tourists, kind of like San Francisco. But they're having big-time homelessness problem. And uh, so San Francisco's one, Seattle, L.A., right up and down the coast, and it's out of control. And the, it, it seems like everywhere liberals are managing the cities, it's just goofy. And, and they don't seem to they seem to have a flat spot on the brain. And so San Francisco, it says San Francisco sees brownout amid spike in public pooping, the report says. Uh, and it says the golden city appears to be turning a shade of brown. San Francisco streets have long had a problem with human waste. But new reports show that the Bay Area's public bowel movements are worse than ever. The poop data was released by Open the Books, a nonprofit government watchdog organization. That, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll list that for you on our website because that's pretty cool. Website tells you a lot of information about political people and uh, their money, where they're getting their money, how they get campaigns financed from whom. So poop data was released by Open the Books, a nonprofit government watchdog, which includes all cases closed by the San Francisco Department of Public Works since 2011. Did you know that they got a poop patrol and the poop patrol dudes, they make more money than most people in Yuba Sutter make. They make like hundred and something thousand dollars for going around and just scooping and disinfecting and water blasting. It's a lot of money, isn't it? As long as you don't live there because you can't afford to live there, even if that kind of money. So there were over 5,000 documented cases in 2011, according to the data. But look at this. In 2018, that number rose more than fivefold to over 28,000 reported cases where people just decided to do their business right out in public. Amazing. I mean, you can see videos on the on the uh, YouTube of people just saying, it's my time. I got to take care of this. And they just right out front of God and everybody just like have a have an experience out there on the street. So um, anyway, it talks it goes on to talk about that. There's uh, like seventy five hundred homeless people recorded in 2018, about a 58 percent or out of seventy five hundred homeless people, about 58 percent or four thousand three hundred fifty three were marked as unsheltered. The other ones had some kind of designated shelters, but. So we got this poop patrol down there, and we may have to do that here in Yuba City, Marysville, where I'm, I'm talking from, and maybe out there and some of you guys out in Idaho. I don't know whether you've got a poop problem out there. Uh, but uh, also, why don't you shoot me a text and tell me what your gas is. We're going to talk about that when we come back. So we're down with just a few minutes. So you're listening to No Hostages Radio, formerly Live with Lou, No Hostages Radio. This is Lou Benninger. Thank you for listening to us, and uh, you can reach us. You can text me if you want to comment or you want to give me some information I need to look into at 530-713-1838, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Democratic capitalism has done more to pull people out of poverty than any other system in the history of humanity. My name is Arthur Brooks. I'm president of the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C. When I was a little kid, my brother subscribed to the National Geographic magazine. I remember this is in the early 1970s. This is at a time for a terrible famine in East Africa, a time when people were dying by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions of starvation. 
I remember that the National Geographic would have pictures of kids in Ethiopia with distended bellies and flies on their faces. And, and the point was there's nothing that could be done. This was a hopeless cause. How do we fix it? Even as a little kid, I knew that charity wasn't going to get it done. It was a hopeless feeling. It's kind of an impotent feeling, as a matter of fact. Well, you know, I grew up and my life went really well, but sometimes I would think back, you know, what would happen to those kids in those pictures that I saw? Why was my life so good and they had no hope? Well, I learned along the way that life hadn't turned out for poor people the way I thought it had. Most Americans, 70% of Americans, think that hunger has gotten worse since 1970. That's untrue. 80% of starvation level poverty has been eradicated since 1970. The world is unambiguously better for the poor than it was when I was a kid when I saw those pictures. So I personally, I went in search of the reason for that. And I found the reason. It has nothing to do with politics. It's not left, right, or center. All responsible economists and people who understand this know the same thing. There are five things that pulled people out of poverty, including people from the poorest parts of the world, like East Africa in the 1970s. Those five things are globalization, free trade, property rights, the rule of law, and the culture of entrepreneurship. That was America's gift to the world. That's what we talk about when we say democratic capitalism. That's what we're talking about when we mean the free enterprise system. Real people's lives have been affected by this. Look, if you are your brother's keeper, if you want to get the next two billion people out of poverty, which we have achieved since I was a kid, the next two billion, the harder cases, you must be a warrior for this. This is not about business, this is not about ideology, this is about human lives, real people, real faces, real stories. These are the people that we need to fight for today and we know how to get it done. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the clips. Uh, the Case for Capitalism by uh, The Daily Signal. Uh, at the beginning of the show today, we played a clip by Candace Owens. She's kind of an up-and-coming black lady who has some really good qualities about her, has a good value system, and she does not like being stereotyped as a liberal uh, in need of a handout black. And so since she doesn't fit that uh, reparations demanding uh, entitlement, uh, somebody did me wrong black, she's written off as kind of an Uncle Tom type figure, a plantation black. But she's scorching uh, a lot of people today because she's talking about uh, the man who raised her was, his grand, was her grandfather, who was a good man. And taught her not to make excuses and taught, taught her to make a way for herself in this world that nobody's going to do it for. And just gave her some really solid values. And recently, Candace was speaking before one of the uh, subcommittees of the Congress. And uh, the, the head of that committee uh, wrongfully, he, he wasn't paying attention to what she was saying, actually. And he wrongfully accused her and she just hosed the dude down. And so I hope you hope you enjoyed that. But she's she's a refreshing lady that fits into the genre of Star Parker and many other women of uh, blacks uh, that are standing up. And the interesting thing is, with all the crazy things that are going on in our United States, the blacks uh, 
who traditionally have, have voted like in the 96 percentile for Democrats, which is always fascinating because the Democrats are the ones that always persecuted the blacks, whether it's the Ku Klux Klan or whether they're resisting the civil rights movement or laws that were giving uh, black folks and other minorities rights that white people and others already had. But it's interesting that the the blacks have kind of had a free date uh, with with uh, Democrats. So now there's there's demographically there's a change been coming. And uh, Candace Owens is amongst a lot of young women and men that are saying, you know something, you don't own me. You don't own me any longer. So way to go, Candace. Well, I I always think of you guys and gals out there in uh, Hagerman, Idaho, the people that have moved. And and, uh, last weekend I had to uh, run over to Reno on Friday to teach a weekend's worth of classes for the trauma intervention program. And we kind of use them to train, train down here in Yuba Sutter area in California. And I go over there to train them in Washoe County. So on the way over, I just couldn't help but notice how many U-Haul vehicles were headed, headed east. And uh, they were trailers and, and trucks. And I, I, I just took note of it. I thought, I wonder if they're like moving or I wonder if they're just they needed a truck to haul something. So. The interesting thing was I, I made a mental note of it because I've been watching uh, these U-Haul statistics. Like, like if you want to if you, if you go from anywhere in California to Texas, it's twice as expensive to U-Haul that way as it is to U-Haul back this way. And, and the reason is because, uh, because they get all the U-Hauls down there, they got to get them back here, right? So they charge you a premium when people aren't coming back the same direction. Like it's, it, if it's all even, then the price would be the same either way. But there's such a preponderance of people moving out of the state of California that the U-Haul rates are twice as expensive to move out of here as come here. So I noticed these U-Hauls as I was driving over to Reno. Then was I, I was driving home uh, coming back west to California from Reno. I, I found one. So I thought, oh, not a survey, but just sort of some anecdotal uh, information that I found interesting. Well, I've been watching the gas prices, and uh, you can do that too. There's a lot of different apps. You can go to Gas Buddy, B-U-D-D-Y. Gas Buddy, uh, they keep uh, a survey throughout the United States of what gas is on any particular day of the week, and and they, I don't know how they, well, they call people. I don't know how they do that. But they have this, uh, wherever you're going, you can kind of figure out what the gas cost is there. Well, now, gas in California is over $4 a gallon in many, many places. And you wonder why. Because we have an abundance of fuel, uh, fossil fuel in the United States. And, you know, we got it going on, right? Why are we importing? Why are we doing all this stuff? So all of a sudden, gas, you remember when everybody blew up at Obama, right? Remember uh, when he took over as president from George Bush, I think gas in California was $1.86. And we were all flared up at Obama. It's Obama's fault. And now, under Trump, we got gas. It's over $4 a gallon. It's a 20-cent jump in just the last couple of weeks in California. Like, what in the world is going on? And I think I commented about it last week because it, it doesn't take much of an increase, and all of a sudden you're paying four or $500 more for fuel 
when you're driving a car that say says uh, that say gets 30, 30 miles per the gallon. So um, this this uh, report said got California's pump jump was the sharpest in the nation this week with gas prices atop the list for America's most expensive fill-ups. So we climbed 21 cents to an average of 4.02. I was down, where was I? I, don't, I was in one inner city area somewhere, and it was, oh, it's very expensive. San Francisco, downtown San Francisco is expensive. Uh, so AAA, these are some information that AAA keeps, uh, the, you know, it's a car insurance service. The national per gallon average was $2.83. That's the average. Um, so it went up 10, 10 cents for them as well. So they give they give some uh, different prices and et cetera. I just want to read. I don't want to read off numbers, but let me tell you about California. And this is our problem. We have in the state legislature, we have uh, dominated by Democrats. Right. And those Democrats have enough votes that they can do uh, basically anything they want, raise taxes, whatever they want to do. And they have decided that even though we have a, some of the most abundant oil reserves underground just laying there, waiting, waiting to be pumped out, whether it's on land or out in the ocean, but they won't allow any, any, more, any more development of oil wells in the state. Now, here's the other thing that's kind of crazy. They make it very difficult uh, for, like, recently there was a big flare-up where John Garamendi, our congressman, was complaining about these tanker cars. You ever seen the tanker cars come through Marysville? We got a lot of railroads come through here, and some of the local city council people that want to, they want to get off the city council and go go make some big money working for, like, Garamendi, like uh, Ricky Scamayoa. And they started claiming that, Oh, these tankers, you've seen those big black tankers? They're, they're like a big uh, cylinder going down on, on, the, uh, on wheels. They're full of oil, right? And they're going over to refineries in California to be the oil be refined. Now, liberals, they just hate fossil fuel. But, if, but the fact is, with all this talk about bird blenders and uh, solar and all these things, they just, those different sources of power comprised less than 10% of all the power we use in the United States. So there's no way that we can just say, oh, yeah, let's go, quote, unquote, clean energy. Although even solar and bird blenders are not strictly clean energy, nor are cars that are electric cars, because it takes a lot of fossil fuel to build those cars. Hello? So so anyway, uh, these in California— we can't pump, we can't develop more oil reserves. We can't, we can't pull more oil out. If we pulled more oil out right where we live, we wouldn't have to truck it, you see? But, but if you're going to have to buy it, we don't want to take it out of our ground, but we'll buy it from, from like North Dakota, or we'll buy it from one of the, from Texas, right? And then we have to truck it here, or we have to put it on a ship and ship it over here and then pipe it off the ship, right? Or... The other thing that California doesn't want you to do is they don't want to put in any more pipelines. They just don't want to do anything to keep the flow going. Now, the the other thing that is so fascinating, in California, these uh, liberals, environmentalists, said we, in the summertime, the gas, the way it burns, gas just like we buy in Nevada or we buy in Idaho, whatever, same gas, 
the gas that we buy over there, because of the heat here, it burns and it, it leaves too much, lets, lets off too many gases in the atmosphere. So therefore, they wanted a different uh, flavor of gas, a different style of gas that costs more. And, and there's not many refineries that will even produce that kind of gas. So if that so like what they comment, like, why did this gas prices go up? They always mentioned, well, some of the refineries are are like winding it down because they have to do maintenance or maybe they had a, a breakdown at the refinery. So if the refineries can't process the oil to make gasoline, then the price goes up. But in California at this time of year, the price goes up maybe 10 or 12 percent dinner, not not percent, but uh, cents. Because it's more of an expensive grade of gas. Now, there's not any state in the union that demands <clears throat> this type of gas like California. <clears throat> so if, you, if you're noticing, if you wonder, what in the world's going on? There are geologists that have claimed that we have the biggest reserves of fuel, fossil fuel, under our soil of any place in the United States. That's amazing. I mean, they are they are learning how to pull gas. All remember when Obama said when he was running against uh, McCain and Palin, and uh, we were having a downturn in the economy, right? And Palin said, "Listen, we got all kinds of oil. Let's just drill, baby, drill." And Barack Obama mocked her and said, "You know, as if he knew something about the oil business. He really knew little." about making money he liked people to give him money but he didn't know how to make a dollar so he said oh you can't just go out and start and, and develop a well and increase the amount of the flow of uh oil you can't just it takes years to do that he was just to talking total nonsense and, and at our previous show live with lou we had uh, we had a guy this uh from brightling oil you can look it up at the internet. They're, they're a big oil firm out of Texas, Breitling Oil. And he called, he was one of the CEOs over there, and he called to talk on the radio. He said, honestly, he said, we can drill our way. He said the same thing Palin got made fun of. He said, we can drill our way out of this crisis, uh, and we can put all kinds of people to work, maintaining the equipment, hauling the oil, developers, drillers, all kinds of stuff. But in California, uh, they said, don't confuse me, confuse me with the facts. We are not going to use fossil fuels. But does the very people that say all this are driving around in SUVs and are using fossil fuels every day. It's the, there's like a stupid pill that people have taken in the state of California. And, um, and even in the area of nuclear, which has proven to be the cleanest type of uh, fuel that we could use did you know that some cars in the world run on nuclear uh and and the power that can can be generated like the two power plants mount diablo and uh and san onofre on the coast of california one's around san luis obispo that's diablo or it's maybe it's diablo canyon as opposed to mount diablo uh, that was a PG&E plant, Pacific Gas and Electric. And the one down in San Onofre, you can see it if you're walking on the beach towards Tijuana. If you're walking around Oceanside, you can see it down there, big stacks, smoke stacks or whatever. And they closed that one down. That was San Diego Edison. Well, the fact is that nuclear is a very efficient and uh, 
a low risk type of a plant to put in. But we can't even do that in California. So uh, one one uh, guy from the University of California, Berkeley professor, he has studied gas. You know, it's interesting what some of these professors, they're just expert at certain things, right? So this professor at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, former chairman of the state's Petroleum Market Advisory Committee, he spent several years crunching the numbers. Can you imagine this is your gig in life, that you just crunch numbers on fuel? To me, I would just die doing that. I'd probably rather smoke marijuana. Crunching numbers on fuel, trying to account for the state's gas prices. You know, people always argue that. I always get a kick out of John Garamendi and Nancy Pelosi. Those filthy oil companies making all that money. Dirty people, rich people. And and I, honestly, I don't know anybody's as rich as Nancy Pelosi. But, oh, yeah, we don't we don't agree with that. And, and uh, you know, we need to go down and we need to control the oil industry and dictate how much... What they want to do is what they did in Venezuela and just ruin the oil industry and have the lights go out. How about that? So this guy, um, Berkeley professor named Severin Borenstein, he said there were surcharges got started being added in 2015 when there was a refinery explosion in Torrance, California, caused um, uh, that caused a spike in prices. Right. Because if the oil, if the uh, the the processing plant the refinery shuts down it's going to cut cut the flow it's all supply and demand right so he comments that even finding out why some of these prices are so high with all the different charges by government it it takes a professor working full-time so he says so something is going on uh in the california gasoline market it could be that there are fewer manufacturers making california style gasoline remember i said california summers they the legislatures legislators who don't know jack diddley about fuel except where to get it they have come up with this uh kind of boutique fuel that has to be used in the summer and so he said it could be that it's become more difficult to import isn't this crazy why are we importing gasoline right we could make it right here he said it could be that it's more difficult to import gasoline because of some problem at the ports or with the pipelines at storage tanks. It seems like the state's putting in some real resources to find out is well worth it. Bornstein estimates that since 2015, each California driver has spent about $500 on the mystery surcharges, which amount to about $11 million per day. Do you see how the legislators are just doing the razzle dazzle. If you ever hear them say, Oh, what I, what I'm standing for when I'm running for office is total transparency, total transparency. So, uh, so he says, if that extra cost is due to some government regulation or policy, we need to look into whether there is something we can do to alter all this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't that crazy? So now we're, when we should be, paying a couple dollars a gallon for gasoline we're spending twice that when you could be buying new clothes for your kids or sending them to camp or, or hiring them a tutor or sending them to special training that you want them to get sharp in some kind of things sending them to a dance class or art class or something blessing your kids instead you got to just throw it right out the window throw it out the window well um uh, 
Let's see. I I ran across Monty Hecker, or not Monty Hecker, but Buck Weckman, uh, who has been fighting. He lives up in the foothills, and Buck Heckman, uh, Buck Weckman has been uh, dealing with the cartel and the dangerous kind of folks that are up there in the foothills, and he's been trying to keep people alerted because uh, they've been polluting the water up there. You would think environmentalists would be concerned about using agricultural chemicals that are illegal in the United States, but you can get them in Mexico. Chemicals that are just gnarly, man. They kill everything. And uh, so polluting and uh, violence. People have gotten shot up there. We've had a couple deputies shot. So Buck's been living up there for many years with his wife and family worked for the forestry so he's been trying to if you're on his email list he's got an email called stop commercial pot and he's been trying to follow this ad hoc committee that was formed by mike Leahy and uh and and another supervisor and they were supposed to talk to different people and come back with a report to on what should we do? Should we allow commercial growing of marijuana in the county, or should we just forbid it? And so Buck says that uh, he's been kind of keeping everybody in tune uh, with when the next meeting is at the Board of Supervisors, because you can't tell a lot of times. You hear about it, it's going to come, and then it's not going to come. It doesn't, it doesn't end up on the agenda. So he says, did you know that only 161 of California's 482 municipalities have allowed for any kind of commercial marijuana. Also, out of 52 California counties, only, I don't know why I put 52, there's actually 58 counties, maybe had a, a brain fizz. So there's 58 California counties, so I'll just say out of 58 California counties, only 24 allow commercial marijuana. So anyway, Buck's talking about... Um, the goings on with the board of supervisors and they've been wrestling with this issue for for quite a while and he quotes from this article by a guy named alan berenson and i wrote an article for the territorial dispatch that uh because alan berenson is a uh quite an accomplished writer he's a graduate of yale uh, university and he's married to a, a psychiatrist who's in charge of a hospital or was in charge of a psychiatric hospital for violent mental health patients. And by talking to his wife, she began to tell him stories about uh, that there was a common denominator of mentally, many of these violent people that they were using marijuana. Now, whether they were using it to self-medicate to try to be more mellow or whether the marijuana triggered them to do gnarly type behavior i don't know but uh anyway i found berenson's article he wrote an article for the hair not the heritage foundation but uh hillsdale college and they have a mailer called imprimis i-m-p-r-i-m-i-s and he had a great article in there that uh he wasn't starting out as for or against marijuana he just said some of this some people may not handle it very well now i always ask people whether i'm in the jail or in juvenile hall, when you started drinking or using drugs, did you ever look at the label? And I've never had somebody look at it. Or I said, did you ever Google the effects to see if 
LSD or mescaline or mushrooms or any of these chemicals or alcohol, what kind of effect it would have on your DNA, what kind of effect it would have on your brain, uh, your liver, on and on, your lungs, et cetera, et cetera. And I have never had a person say I did a lot of research and I came to the conclusion that smoking marijuana was great for me. But uh, I found Berenson did a lot of research, and, and so Berenson wrote an article, and I guess it's listed, came up uh, under Cal Matters. He submitted it to Cal Matters, and Cal Matters ends up, their articles get picked up for the, in the Appeal Democrat. So I think it showed up uh, yesterday. If you want to look it up on the Appeal Democrat, I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but Alan Berenson is a sharp guy. I really enjoyed his article, really educated me. and uh, But he talks about, uh, he wrote a book about these risks and what he did when he was alarmed by some of his wife's comments. And he began looking at uh, foreign, not just American, but foreign research on the use of marijuana. So he wrote a book called Tell Your Children. This is the title. Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness and Violence. Is he saying that everybody's going to have this experience? He's not saying that at all. He's just saying if you're going to use it, or you're going to endorse people using it, you better pay attention because there's some scientific studies linking cannabis to psychosis and schizophrenia. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I wonder about, about me, is the impact if your brain just starts not working right and and kind of like when you're seeing purple, you're, I'm not talking about colorblindness, but where you see one type of thing your brain tells you you're seeing something else and that's when the brain isn't firing right that's a pretty devastating and scary thought isn't it so he says there's a link in some of these studies between psychosis and schizophrenia a devastating brain disease as he describes which causes sufferers to have hallucinations delusions and paranoia now i've known people to have all those things in fact i've had them when i used to do drugs and uh, and I didn't use I didn't have a problem on marijuana, but I all my friends that smoke marijuana today, they say, Lou, you don't even know what what marijuana is like. It's been so many years since you smoked it. It's a lot more powerful today. It's a lot more refined. It's got a lot more kick. And uh, so you had a whole different deal back in the day. So Berenson said THC is a chemical in cannabis primarily responsible for its psychoactive effects and psychiatric risks. THC, that's the thing that gets you a buzz on, right? Cannabis sold for recreational use today contains up to 30% THC uh, compared to 1% to 2% when the drug first became popular in the 1970s. You see what I'm saying? That's why my friends are saying, Lou, you have no idea what this, what the pop is on marijuana you were you were uh, inhaling one to two percent THC, and we're we're inhaling thirty percent. Well, mo, that's a lot of THC. Users today also commonly consume edible products laced with near pure THC oil. Smoking near pure THC extracts uh, ca- called wax. Now, when I was over at Juvenile Hall, I do some uh, talks over there and go visit some of the inmates. They taught me how to make wax. I said, what is that? I said, that hacks, hash? He said, no, 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 Lou, that's, we can distill this down and make a lot powerful product. And they told me how they made it. It's called wax or honey oil. So uh, Berenson says peer review medical journals all over the world 
have published disturbing new studies about the drug's dangers. So some of you are, I know, because I've talked to you, you're using it and you're, you, you, you feel like it's a great benefit to whatever physical ailment you have. And hey, I, you know, my mother, when she died of cancer, uh, she was taking morphine. If she wanted to smoke marijuana, I wouldn't have cared. She was on her last legs, right? She was feeling sick. She was in pain. Uh, cancer was eating her up. And so they were, they said, here, here's some morphine and just take a slug of this every time you want to take the edge off. So she did. So what, you're going to make a big deal about marijuana when, when, uh, when morphine, morphine's a lot more right powerful, but it's interesting that if you're going to do this, and this is kind of what I wrote an article for the territorial dispatch, I wrote an article just addressing this. It's like, geez, it's like somebody was saying to me the other day, I, I guess I was up in Reno and we were talking about drinking alcohol and I have friends that, uh, if they drink a little alcohol, they get really funky. They get really, they get anxious. They get, they get really gnarly. And when they're sober, they're just the nicest person. But, uh, men, you got to know what stuff, you know, it's the same way with food allergies. You get, you put something in your body that tastes really good, but it just makes you sicker than a dog because you got a food allergy to it. So the issue is whatever you're putting in your body, somebody better read the label. So, so Berenson says a paper in February connected teenage cannabis use to depression and suicidal thinking in adulthood. Another in mid mid March showed that teenagers who use marijuana daily were five times as likely to develop psychosis. That's an illness of the brain. I mean, I could, I'd rather have an illness somewhere else in my body. If that brain goes down, every every your whole life goes down. Still more recently, emergency room physicians in Colorado reported that marijuana-related visits have soared since voters approved the recreational uh, use in 2012. Further, suicide data from California, uh, Colorado shows that suicides in which people had TS, THC in their bloodstream increased roughly fourfold between 2006 and 2016. Now, the question is, did THC cause a suicide? Or were they trying to self-medicate because they were so tormented that they were trying to take the edge off? I don't know the answer to that. But it's it's kind of serious sounding, right? Uh, fatal driving accidents in which people had THC in their blood have risen sharply. Now, it's interesting Like California Highway Patrol, I run this trauma intervention program. And California Highway Patrol, when they have a fatal accident, they just don't clean up the street and try to figure out whose fault it is and move on they if someone died they're going to go back and do some research and talk to the people that were connected to that person who died and ask them about their previous life the previous several weeks and put together a story on why maybe the previous several weeks contributed to the fact that this this accident happened so uh anyway it says here along Side the mental health, suicide, and driving risks of cannabis, real-world evidence that the drug may drive violence has also mounted. Now, that's, I always thought, man, you smoked some weed, everybody, peace, 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 let's peace out. Uh, but while pan- cannabis makes some users euphoric, that would be me, and relaxed, that would be me, or lethargic, that would be me. I never, I never, I never accomplished jack diddly on marijuana. I just wanted to sit around and think. 
but it makes some other people paranoid, they said, which was new to me. I didn't know that, but I've heard other people say it. The risk is so well known that dispensaries advertise some cannabis strains are less likely to produce paranoia. Now, now that's the industry selling the product that's saying, that stuff over there, dude, if you have a problem with paranoia, don't be buying any of that. So I'll finish this up on the backside. We're going to take a short break, and I got a, a clip to play, play you, and uh, we'll be back in a second. One of the biggest false narratives that I've heard out there that walls are immoral and walls are ineffective. The stats and historical data absolutely shows the opposite. My name is Mark Morgan. I'm the former United States Border Patrol Chief under President Obama. I also served two decades in the FBI where I served as a MS-13 gang task force supervisor as well as I led the FBI's office in El Paso. The reason why I support the president's plan is because I know it works. And the reason why I know it works because technically, it's really not his plan, with all due respect. It's the expert's plan. I know that plan. I helped provide some of the same stuff that's in the plan now, back when I was chief of the Border Patrol. The experts have put this plan together. The experts have asked for 230 miles of, of barriers, part of that plan is in, in key strategic locations to stop bad things and bad people from coming in. Yuma, Arizona is a great example where walls have, have worked. Again, as part of that multi-layer strategy, 23 miles of physical barrier along with additional personnel and technology were utilized. They saw illegal immigration go from 140,000 to 15,000 overnight. And the sheriff will tell you the overall crime drastically reduced. San Diego, same thing. When they put up their the physical barrier along with technology and personnel, illegal immigration there almost went away 100% as well as overall crime. The barriers work. Don't listen to pundits. Listen to the facts and historical data and listen to the experts. They'll all tell you that walls work as part of that strategy. All right, Lou Benninger here, and uh, we're going to do another segment on No Hostages Radio. So again, if you just tapped into us and you, you just, uh, some friend or said, hey, they're over here now, you can connect with us through uh, nohostagesradio.com. That's our website, and we'll post the episodes each week up there, and we'll, we'll put some references there. If we have other information for you, we can go learn more about the topics, or if you want to, like, if you don't want to dip in and see whether it's any good, you want to look, look at a menu, you can look at a menu first. I like to look at a menu. Uh, if you want to send me an email, you can go at lou at nohostagesradio.com or my phone number, 530-713-1838. So I was talking before the uh, break about Alan Berenson, who is a top-notch writer, and he wrote an article for Cal Matters that then the Appeal Democrat here in Yuba County picked up, and I, they tell me it ran yesterday. And I found it's, it's a, just a great article, and it's, it just, it's just asking questions like, you know, it's like you get all fired up about these fads and all this stuff, and 
you know, I even uh, before uh, when I got out, I quit using marijuana and I, I became a Christian and I, you know, I didn't need marijuana except to get high off of. I wasn't sick. But my my 41 year old brother-in-law, who my sister's husband, uh, became very sick with uh, brain and lung cancer. Horrible, horrible suffering. And they were trying everything and and he was on his way to the grave. And my sister called me one day and said, Lou, can you get me some marijuana? And I thought, oh, I'm a church guy. No, I don't deal marijuana. <laughs> she said, well, I know. She said, can you help me out? Do me a solid. And uh, so I picked her up a half pound and got it down to her. And, and because, hey, what's the difference, right? The guy's all emaciated. He's trying to, like, keep some food down. So, you know, all the drugs that are available out there weren't designed to uh, just uh, have every day. But they were designed for a purpose to get you through some pain or get you through some uh, if you're really sick to the stomach or you got bad headaches, migraines. So now we got this marijuana that we're just selling right over the counter to whoever qualifies age wise. And the question is, like I asked kids, you know, at Juvenile Hall, I said, how many of you taken LSD or some of these psychedelics? And have you ever checked it out to see whether it does permanent damage to your brain? Because kids at in the teenage years, their brain is still developing, according to psychologists and psychiatrists that I talked to. So can this do, can these drugs and can marijuana have a permanent damage? And I think it's an interesting question. And, hey, my feeling is, hey, if you want to go out and do something dangerous, people do, they jump out of planes, they do stuff all the time. So have a happy, it's your life, do what you want to do, right? But to, but for the politicians and the government who mainly they don't give they don't give a rat's ass about whether you're healthy or not they just want to make money off it so let's make that clear they are not trying to do any favors towards the marijuana industry in fact they pretty much destroyed the medical marijuana industry by by launching this recreational thing the only way they the only reason they've ever launched a recreational thing was to make money uh so they could spend more money in the government right so says in California, marijuana has been legal for recreational use for over a year, not long enough for even the most basic crime trends to become apparent. Uh, but I, I know that a number of people have been killed in Yuba County uh, when they, other people did, I'd call them marijuana invasions or home invasions, where people went in and they knew someone had some stash. So they went in there and sh- got in a shootout, killed a couple guys. That's happened numbers of times. So... Um, so there's there's been acts of violence that have been connected to marijuana. It says even though the drug has been linked to high-profile homicides recently, including the cases of Camden Nicholson and Kevin Douglas Limbaugh, Nicholson, 27, allegedly killed his parents and the housekeeper at their Newport Beach home in February. A civil lawsuit filed on behalf of the housekeeper claims that Nicholson abused marijuana and steroids before committing the crimes. Roids are bad, too. Limbaugh, 48, murdered Davis police officer. Do you remember that? Natalie Corona. Limbaugh uh, murdered Davis police officer. I mean, she wasn't even trying to arrest him. She was out on another call, and a guy just went out and shot her. Uh, He killed her, then killed himself. A toxicology report showed that he had THC and alcohol in his blood. So uh, anyway, whether the... Whether... The government, who is now getting us into these things, is going to do due diligence in evaluating the impact 
you know, when you think about it, who picks up the tab on all this, right? We do, right? Taxpayers do, right? They, we create this problem, and then the taxpayers pick it up. Now, there's a, a new doc, a relatively new doc at the ER, and I can't recall her name right now. I saw her. She was being uh, interviewed on uh, 93Q, and I saw her on Facebook, and she was talking about the need to not just treat drug-affected uh, people, but to, in other words, medically treat them or bring them down or reverse the experience, but to get them into a rehab. And uh, Dr. Cassidy, who's a friend of mine who worked for 25 years for Yuba County Jail and was the health officer for Yuba County, was the most well-known guy in the community by addicts because he helped them and got them off, got them off their product, whatever they were using, heroin, whatever. And he's been he's been touting since the early 1990s that that the county and mental health needs to address this heroin problem and opiate problem and other drug problem and get people into rehab. Now, there's one state I think it was I watched a documentary. I think it was Rhode Island that talked about they're arresting people and putting them in jail, not to just say na 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 na, but they're trying to get them sober so they can get them into rehabs and help them get their life back. Because people I know from Yuba County Jail, women and men addicted to all kinds of things, they they basically are pretty sober in jail. They do get some contraband. But the fact is they they want their life back and you can't help them get their life back when they're when they're laying out in the midst of their own poop in the river bottoms. You got to You got to incarcerate them if they're violating the law and get them cleaned up and talk to them when they're sober. You can't talk to a person loaded on heroin or on meth, rushing off meth or on marijuana or or alcohol. You can't talk to them about their life and have a sensible com- conversation. So they were so many people were dying and so screwed up back in on the East Coast, some of these East Coast states that they are taking an aggressive uh, effort to arrest them. And when you talk to when they interviewed these people in rehab, they're saying, thank God they arrested me. I was killing myself. I was going down the tubes. I was circling in the drain. So uh, it's something to think about. And uh, I'm thankful that Alan Berenson, Alex Berenson, wrote this article for the Cal Matters and that the Appeal Democrat ran, ran it because we need to. This is the type of information that is really uh, necessary when you start making changes in the way we've been relating to things uh, like alcohol, drugs, all that kind of stuff. And like I've told people, I said, alcohol is by far one of the most damaging uh, products that we're taking in our system to get a buzz on. It's killing people every single day. It's horrible. Uh, it's horrible. So uh, anyway, let's. Uh, I want to mention uh, one other group that helps us, and that's uh, the plumbing doctor. And they they helped us out at the radio station, and they went out there and traded out straightened out all the plumbing of this rundown radio station and got it going really good. And they traded out some ads over there and, uh, they are doing a good job here. Just like Dave Greenitz, Ted Holmes and Dave Greenitz. And I go back about 40 years and, um, uh, Ted, uh, has done a number of things, started a uh, floor removal business called liftoff floors. He started a 
Holmes Construction, and now he's started Plumbing Doctor. He's had it for several years. And uh, if you've got to sometimes they started out using a plumbing rig that looked like an ambulance. So sometimes when they pulled up on my house, my friends would drive by and think I was having a heart attack until they saw it was a plumber. But it, it was kind of a red and white box back deal looked like an ambulance. But the plumbing doctor, uh, you can reach them 24 hours a day at 530-671-9111. 530-671-9111. I use these guys anytime I got a problem, I call them up. I just said, I'm, whether I'm here or not, I just give them a key, tell them go in and fix that place. You know, I don't know how to do it. I don't have time to figure it out. So anyway, uh, in fact, if you give Dave, Dave Green a shout out, he might even give you a deadhead discount. Uh, he's picky about who he works for. Sometimes he'll want to do a psychology test on you, you know, one of those, some kind of blotter test or something, make sure you're compatible with him so you don't get gnarly on him. Well, I wanted to move on here and talk about some different uh, situations that are happening, get past the gas. So I want to talk to you uh, for a second about the uh, back to Islam. And, uh, well, not back to Islam, but back to illegals of all types who are co- committing crimes in in our country. And you might think, some, some liberals might think, hey, you know, some liberals think we shouldn't have any borders. In other words, anybody can cross any border and come into the country, uh, get free food, free education, uh, free health care, and get everything free. In other words, we're, we're Americans, and we're going to basically cover the costs of all, all people's needs— no matter whether they're sick with tuberculosis, HIV, measles, whatever. In other words, they can just say, y'all come. And uh, you don't have to, you know, you just settle wherever you want. Now, some people feel that's the way it ought to be. Uh, Other people, you know, it's amazing to me. I always, it'd be one thing to argue that we need to have more legal immigration. We need to allow more people into this country. And uh, as long as it was legal, they go through and fill out the forms, apply, get interviewed, do the whole thing. Right. A lot of my friends uh, I know have have immigrated here from various countries. Uh, The Punjab, Mexico, they did. They did it. They did the uh, legitimate. They filed forms. They did all this stuff and they came here. And uh, but the Democrats right now, the liberals in this country are saying we don't want any borders. And we want anybody to come here, whether they're criminal, diseased, whatever, to come. And, and we'll pay for everything. We'll pay for everything. That's what the liberals are saying. And so when you bring up the fact that an illegal alien ran over somebody or shot somebody or slit their throat or stabbed them to death or raped them, whether they're from Mexico, Somalia, Syria, whatever, uh, they just say, well, you know, that happens in our country as well. And it does. It does. But the issue is, uh, you know, uh, when I was taking criminology courses in college and then when I worked with the police here locally uh, as a chaplain, I used to study some of this stuff like, you know, who does all these crimes? You know, and I found out that one to two percent of all the people in the country do about 90 percent of the crimes. Did you know that? That surprised me. So it isn't like. 50% 50% of the people doing crimes, uh, it's 1% to 2%. And and I was telling somebody the other day that we were talking about graffiti tagging, you know. 
And I, and I was telling them that one tagger can go out and maybe do 50 sites in a day. I want you to think of that. If you see a, a particular design or moniker around and you realize that that guy's just walking around or gal's walking around and they're just using that little spray can or a marker and they'll do 50, they can do 100 marks. It just, they can totally screw up the whole community. So, you know, usually, you know, criminologists have gone into prisons and they've interviewed prisoners and they're pretty transparent and they'll ask them they say you, you've been arrested five or six or ten times in your life how many crimes did you really do and usually they'll say oh hundreds of crimes i did hundreds of crimes that's only a small percentage they only caught me a small percentage of the time so when you have a small percentage of the population that are committing crimes you can make an adjustment in the crime level in your community one adjustment would be if they you had a, what we call a revival a spiritual revival and you can have people change their ways. That would be one thing. The other way is you lock people up. And so when we locked a lot of people up, say in California, that I'm more familiar with, crime went down. If you take a criminal that is committing lots of crimes, say burglaries, and you and he drops dead, he has a heart attack. All of a sudden, he isn't as uh, he isn't as active as he used to be. Right? It just his memory is out there. So uh, letting criminals come to this country without being vetted and uh, like, it, for instance, if we get thousands of new molesters, sex, sex molesters, child molesters into this country, does that make you feel comfortable uh, that they're coming to your city? Now, President Trump, I noticed, uh, is suggesting that since the sanctuary cities are so amenable to taking illegal aliens and are going to pay their way maybe they'll just usher them instead of keeping them pinned up on the border they'll just usher them over there and bring them to san francisco or oakland or one of these places so um this article says illegal alien fled car crash on foot after killing alabama teachers now i get this because some countries in fact if you haven't got out of the united states and you have a real strong opinion about some of this stuff, you should travel a little bit because probably your ignorance is getting the best of you. So when I was in Mexico, I learned uh, relatively quick, quickly. I never went down there for leisure. I was down there doing projects, building projects. And I, I heard many stories of whenever there was a car accident, Mexicans, uh, whether they were in in whether they were involved in a car crash with another local Mexican or whether they were in car crash with a foreigner, they would flee. They would not stay for the federales or the cops. They would flee. And uh, when I was in China, I had a team going to China, and we were smuggling Bibles, and we were cross going. Half the team went one way, half the team went another way. We had about 17, 18 in this a Greyhound-type bus, big bus. And this guy was driving too fast, and it was raining cats and dogs. And uh, he he got out of control, and we got in a big car crash, blew out all the windows. The bus started to tip over, got hit again by another truck, straightened it back up. And um, so it blew the whole axle out on the front of the bus, and we were goofed, right, out in the middle of China uh, with just rice fields. And they, all the Chinese people were freaking out, screaming and crying, and so our windows were blown out. We were in the back of the bus, so we just leaped out the windows to get out of that things before it blew up. And uh, 
So, but the interesting thing was that the, the bus driver fled the scene. Now, that's interesting. When you, when, you'd think they'd know who the bus driver was, right? That bus number 67A. You'd think, uh, you know, Johnny Yang was, was the bus driver. But, oh, Johnny, he just split. He wasn't going to stay for the police. And uh, that's the way the culture works. So when you have some of these people, just like in Mexico, I don't have the surveys, but it just seems to me that a lot of them don't mind having sex with underage kids. It's like, hey, that's, if that's okay down there, I guess it's okay down there. I don't like it. I don't think it's good. So when they come up here and start having sex with underage kids, I don't think it's a cool deal. So anyway, Mobile, mobile Alabama or Mobile, whatever you want to do, however you want to say it. Mobile, Alabama. I've driven through there before. Uh, they... This illegal alien, he's from Guatemala, right? Right below Mexico. Domingo Francisco Marcos, 49, or not, uh, 16. He's 16 years of age. Illegal alien, 16. Do you think he's got a driver's license? I doubt it. 16, Domingo Francisco Marcos from Guatemala. He got, he, he crossed over and hit a 49-year-old teacher by the name of Sonia Jones and killed her. And uh, he'd been previously apprehended. Isn't this so sad? Previously apprehended, illegal in this country, and they can't even get him out. And he had been previously released into the U.S. by Department of Homeland Security after he crossed the southern border. In other words, he crossed, and he probably was saying, I need asylum, right? He's one of these uh, DACA kids or something. So in court on Monday, Alabama state troopers testified that Marcos fled the scene of the crash on foot. He was eventually caught. But see, that's, that's, you know, we're we're taught in America not to do that, right? That if you get in, if you have a problem, you need to stay for the police and let them make a report. And there's a, there's a process, you know, it's integrity process, right? And you make that agreement when you, when you take the uh, driving test and, and there's certain things like, oh, you, you're going to have to submit to a field sobriety test if you're driving recklessly. Right. That you agree to certain things when you get the license. Right. Maybe you forgot about that. So uh, Marco stumbled away from the crash before collapsing, but eventually got back on his feet and eventually crawled away. This guy got hammered. Freeman said Marcos over the uh, crossed over the lane to hit Jones head on, leaving her dead. And. Uh, said the boy was speeding, driving about 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. So here's, you know, when you think, oh, well, you know, it happens every day. 35, 40,000 people die of car accidents. So what? Right. There's a risk we take when we drive in a car. So but when you look at the family, this woman was married with children and they got robbed of their mother and the students got robbed of a good teacher. So let's just look at Marcos. According to federal immigration officials, Marcos entered the U.S. illegally through the southern border in Arizona two years ago. 16-year-old boy. That's, that's when he was 14, right? The illegal alien claimed asylum, right? So maybe he was afraid of what was going on in Guatemala. All these people claiming asylum. That's one of the arguments. It's a BS argument. And I have people that I know that did this smuggle people for a living and i know what's going on down there these are scams the people are making money off them the illegal alien 
alien claims asylum, was released from DHS custody and never showed up to court. Now, here's what they do. They they get him. And when the guy says, I need asylum, then they release them and give them a court date. Now they're just free in the United States. They can do whatever they want. Sign up for welfare, go get food stamps, commit crimes, whatever. What? What do you think? I some friends. Uh, I call them friends, but they went over to Idaho and they murdered an 84 year old woman here a couple of weeks ago. And I said, how how does that happen? He said, well, we were short on money. And he said, we just did whatever criminals do. You know, we're criminals. So I thought they'll after claiming asylum, the way the system's set up, which is totally crazy. And it's not it's not Trump's system. It's his system to fix. I don't know where who created this system. Bush, one of the Bushes, Clinton. I don't know who who screwed this thing up. But to to a guy claims asylum, a 14 year old boy, you're just going to let him go. He never showed up for court hearing and he lived illegally in Alabama. So eventually, because he didn't show up, he was denied asylum. And he was subsequently ordered to leave the country to be deported like millions of other illegal aliens who are caught and released into the interior of the country by DHS. Marcos was never deported. So Mrs. Jones leaves behind a 17 year old daughter, son, husband, parents, and four sisters, along with friends and colleagues. Now there are people in the Yuba Sutter area. Maybe you're listening from another state. That means nothing to you. So let me just phrase it a different way. I want you to think of somebody you know that lives locally in your community, because I'm thinking of a lady I know. She's an older woman. She's served, served. uh, She's, you know, she's a typical American. She's served, volunteered, helped. She's a grandma. And her grandson was having dinner celebrating his acceptance to UC Berkeley to continue his education when they walked out early morning hours after midnight, walked out after celebrating over in the Mission District, a couple illegal aliens came up and attacked them and stabbed him to death, unprovoked. They were just loaded. Now, I know a lot of illegal aliens in the Yuba County Jail because I go in there, we're in there three days a week, and I find out about their background. And a lot of them have big-time alcohol problems. And... Not only that, it's it's one time it's one thing like I've known alcoholics in my life, but they don't they don't do that and drive. They just sit in their house and get snockered. But but these Mexican guys in from the Latin part of the world, they like their cerveza. And so they get tanked up on it and then they go driving. And so I I know one guy that's been in Yuba County Jail nearly three years trying to get uh, trying to win his deportation case and stay in the country. And he was arrested four times for DUI. You know, you know how much that cost? I had the commander of the CHP call me one day when I was on the air live. He said, Lou, it starts out at around ten grand a DUI by the time you pay everything. And it gets more expensive from there. So this guy had four DUIs. He didn't get the lesson. And then, uh, then he pulled a gun or a knife on a guy at a bar, and that got him. So you think you want him in the United States? When you meet him, you'll like him. I mean, I see him. He sits in on my classes. You like him. But uh, I have also friends that are paralyzed from the neck down because they got hit by a drunk driver. I don't like the idea of people driving around drunk or under the influence of drugs. I don't like the idea. 
of any kind of drugs. Like I, you know, I've had surgeries where they say, Lou, when you take this medication, do not drive, right? Get a driver. But people do that anyway, right? Because they're not thinking of you. They're just thinking of themselves. Now, how about this one? Illegal alien accused of murdering Texas man by running over him twice. He ran home the first time, thought, oh, shoot, he's still alive. I'm going to go back and get him a second time. So illegal alien woman has been accused and charged with murder of a Fort Worth, Texas man after she allegedly ran over him twice. Illegal alien Laura Rosas, 33-year-old, alleged murdered 30-year-old Emmanuel Ramirez this week after she allegedly ran over him twice with her car outside a nightclub. Now, maybe they were fighting, right? Maybe they were a couple. I don't know. But she got PO'd at him and said, take that. In fact, take both that's. According to police, there was a fight outside the OK Corral. That just sounds bad right there. The OK Corral Latin nightclub. That sounds like you could go there, get kind of tipsy, and get in a knife fight. April 8th, this happened. So before April 8th, he was alive as could be. And then Laura took care of him. Well, Rosas then drove her car and mowed old... Ramirez down, running over him twice. Now the illegal alien has been charged with murder and is being held on $200,000 bond. Well, the ICE, or the, you know what ICE stands for, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they confirmed that they have placed a detainer on Rosas so that should she be released from prison at any time, she is subject to deportation. Now that's the big thing. That's the chicken bone caught in the throat that is being debated like some of these local cities that have sheriffs or they have politicians that want to just let anybody do whatever they want these cities are going to collect people like rosas because what when they get ready to release them they ignore ice's request for a detainer right they they ignore it and they say we and this is how stupid this has gotten they say local, local law enforcement will say we are not going to assist federal authorities to deport people. It's not our job. I just think you guys got it. You, you guys have swallowed the stupid pill. And, but that's what's happening in these sanctuary cities. And, but some, some sheriffs are not buying that, and they're going after them. But that's what happened here with Rosa. So, I'm, so that's just two. We could do this every day of the week. We could just do a show with illegal aliens butchering people, the MS-13, just on down the line. They're just, they're just, and the question is, do you want them? Do you want them in your, uh, in your country? Do you want to raise the risk of your own child? Like my friend in Yuba City, her, her grandson, who she had great hopes for, was stabbed to death by an illegal alien, and now he's doing some prison time over it, right? And we're paying for him to be in federal prison. We're not, he's not getting the capital punishment where they kill you. We're going to take care of him, make sure he's got health, his health needs are met, education needs are met, food, exercise, you know, phone privileges, the whole thing. Now, I think what's going to happen here in the United States is, I don't know whether Trump will be elected again. I hope he is. But more and more, as the police are being told to stand down, what that means is not doing anything on certain crimes, the general public's going to pick up the slack. So down on the New Mexico border, uh, armed militia, those are like 
retired cops and military guys and and uh, just volunteers. They're all volunteers who know how to use weapons and know how to take care of business. Uh, they they've been standing guard along New Mexico because there's a rumor uh, that there was going to be some people coming up through there that wanted to break into our country. So I'm going to tell you the rest of the story about that in just a minute, and I'm going to play you a couple clips in the meantime. We'll be right back. I went down to the river And I took a look around They were old men's shoes um, In most developing countries um, um, from Mexico, is uh, abortion is considered taboo, not only in Latin America and the Caribbeans and also in some developing countries. How can we engage this sensitive topic? We have to also consider women's um, uh, right to choice. It's considered a right to our health, to our own bodies. How can we learn in, in the educational system of these countries to promote health education for women's rights? You said, what about a woman's right to choose? And my answer is, to choose what? What are they choosing? What does an abortion do? We use these, these phrases and these words, and these were invented carefully to mislead people. Sue told some of this story as an investigative journalist. These terms, reproductive justice as a mask for abortion, choice as a mask for abortion, to choose what? If everybody here agrees, and I think they do, that it is right, it is never right to intentionally take an innocent human life. It's never right to intentionally take an innocent human life. And if we know that there is a life in the womb and, and he or she is innocent and abortion intentionally ends her life, then it is never right to commit an abortion. This is not woman's empowerment. So I think that's, a, that's a something very important. We have to change the way we're, we're looking at this entirely and not look down on countries that have have laws against abortion, but instead look to them. I mean, I wish the United States was more advanced and more protective of life, like Mexico has more protections than we do here. We don't even ban sex-selective abortion here. You can kill a girl just because she's a girl in the United States. You can kill a baby through all nine months in the United States. That's, that's choice. No, that's not choice. That's, that's the ending of a life. That's murder. On the right to choice, I'd like to say, um, when you come to my village and you want to tell a woman that they, they should have a right to choose killing their own baby, they will be surprised. Because in my village, a child is a blessing. And actually, we always have a ceremony to celebrate uh, the incoming of a baby. It's actually a joy for the whole village, not just for the family, but for the whole village. So uh, when you tell me it's a right to choose, right, um, I, I don't understand. And uh, um, at the end of the day, when you say uh, it's a choice, it's a choice to do what? To kill an unborn baby, a preborn baby, to take a life. It's plainly murder, that's all I can say, thank you. I think we have to ask, when we say a woman has the right to own and control her own body, when we give her contraceptives may an abortion, who's really owning and controlling her body? The contraceptive industry, the abortion industry, and the man she's having sex with. She's not in charge of her own body at all. Papa, why do you play all the same old songs? Why do you sing? 
Welcome back. Uh, we're talking about illegal immigration and uh, the fact that <clears throat> along the border, this isn't the first time <clears throat> that militia people uh, have just decided, you know, something if the law enforcement can't take care of this, we're going to take care of it, right? And that's happened a number of times before. That'll happen in a city, too, if, if, the, police, uh, if the police's hands are tied by politicians or for some reason there's corruption, uh, eventually individuals will take matters into their own hands. That's not what we want. But uh, down in uh, New Mexico, a group of more than 300 migrants, I guess, I don't know whether they knew they were coming or heard they were coming, but they tried to cross the border into the United States from Mexico. And uh, what these guys are calling themselves on the U.S. side, the United Constitutional Patriots. So they rounded these guys up, and uh, they they all, like this other young boy, you know, I told you about earlier, uh, seeking asylum. That's the magic word right now until the government here says we're not buying it anymore. We're not, we're not going to let you – we're not going to fund you to live here for years in, in jail or detention and let you argue this, and we have to pay for all the attorneys. By the way, did you know that – there's defense attorneys like working for the city of San Francisco or the, or the district attorney down there and Alameda, different counties where there's a lot of uh, litigation going on over illegals as opposed to the, the uh, DA's office or the public defender uh, taking care of, of criminal cases. These folks are now defending uh, ICE detainees and trying to help them using our tax dollars, helping them. We're giving them the same rights that you as a citizen has in the United States. We're giving illegals the same rights with a right to an attorney and right for a free attorney, et cetera, et cetera. Just it's unbelievable. So uh, the United States Constitutional Patriots, a militia group, detained the Central American asylum seekers at gunpoint Monday night before turning them over to ICE or what we call U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. So sometimes they call themselves CBP, sometimes Homeland Security, sometimes ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The militia group is made up of former police officers, military veterans, etc., and they've been standing guard on the southern border in Sunland Park, New Mexico, for the past two months. Now, we got a, we used to have Suzanne or Susanna, uh, what was her last name? Martinez, I think it was. She was a conservative governor of New Mexico, but I think she termed out. So now we have a real liberal lady down there. And uh, so these folks are probably ticking her off. So a guy named Jen Benvy, a spokesman for this militia group told the New York Times that they plan to stay put monitoring the border and a wall until a wall is built or until lawmakers tighten immigration laws. He says, we're just here to support the border patrol and show the public uh, the reality of what's going on on the border. Now, all these people over the United States, these politicians saying, oh, there's nothing really going on down there. Honestly, people, it, it reminds me, although you have all this media nowadays, 
so much of it, if it's fake, you don't know what to believe. So in, I think it was 19, it was in 1989 of Tiananmen Square, where there was a big student protest in the Tiananmen Square, right out the, right outside the Forbidden City. There was a big student protest, and they were basically protesting, uh, wanting more freedom of speech and student rights and stuff. And, of course, that was before the Internet, right? And there was no email or anything. But I happened to show up up there about a year after it happened. And in the hotel we stayed at, which was near block or two from Tiananmen Square, there were bullet holes all up and down. They got sprayed. Some of those hotels got sprayed with automatic weapons. And there were big chunks out of the of the uh, stucco, and but the what happened at Tiananmen Square, where thousands of people were killed and uh, detained, etc. Uh, nobody in China really knew about that. They just kept that on the low, and and kept it so people were ignorant, and because they didn't want other people to rise up elsewhere. And the same thing is happening in the United States that this baloney that the liberals are dishing out that it's no big deal down there is totally crazy. It's chaotic. It's totally chaotic what's going on the border, and it's it's lawless down there. And uh, I'm proud of these guys that are taking a stand. Um, it says Sunland Park sits along the southern border near Mex- the Mexican, Mexican city of Juarez, Right just east of El Paso, Texas. I've driven through there. It is so fascinating. Have you, have you driven through there, El Paso? No? If you drive down the freeway, and on the left, you you see these the reflective glass skyscrapers, just like typical modern America. Big old skyscrapers. And on the right, you can see it all in just a glance. Just hovels. Garbage, hovels. And it's amazing that the problem isn't because Mexico lacks resources. The problem is the politics down there. And so they have, they have people that are very, very rich. In fact, one of the richest guys in the, uh, in the world lives down there. Uh, and then, yeah, they're very, very poor. So Benvy, Mr. Benvy says, Jim Benvy says, we're here to show the public what's going on down here. And uh, they say, this is amazing. When citizens say this, agencies don't have the resources to handle the overwhelming number of Central Americans coming to the U.S. They're coming because they know they can get in. As soon as they realize that it's going to be really gnarly. I just saw where the uh, new attorney generals said, if you get, if we incarcerate you, if you come in here under asylum, you're not going to get let go. We're going to hold you. That changes things quite a bit. I, I, I talk to these immigrants all the time at the Yuba County Jail. In fact, I just talked to a lady this last week. She said, Lou, I'm just going to go back to Brazil. And uh, because it just they just get tired of fighting their case. Two, three years they've been locked up living in a cell with 12 or 13 other women. It's a bummer. So Benvy, Jim Benvy says, we're just Americans. We're veterans. We're ex-law enforcement. We're people that care about our nation's security. We're people that care about our strained border patrol. So uh, says Customs and Border P- Protection spokesman Carlos Diaz declined Fox News request for comment. In other words, they're not wanting to endorse these guys. 
Uh, they're just, uh, but I'm sure they're happy they're there. Uh, so I wanted to play a clip uh, by, since it's the basketball playoffs, I don't know whether you care about basketball. I don't much anymore. I used to play a lot. But I used to watch sports of all kinds and kind of be addicted to it. It had a fascination for me. But for some reason, I changed. So, but I've been fascinated by the Warriors because they had such a horrible team, a horrible franchise for so long. And all of a sudden, they started to get better. And then they hired this Steve Kerr. So I've, I've covered some of this before uh, when we did the other show over at the AMFM station. But I watched this uh, little clip by 60 Minutes about Steve Kerr. Because Steve Kerr, you, you know, it's kind of like you see a guy and he's doing a good job. He's playing basketball, he's coaching, or he's a good attorney or whatever. And, but you have no idea who his parents were and, you know, how he got brought up. And so uh, I want you to listen to this because the Warriors are, looks like they're going to end up in it. They're in the playoffs. We'll see whether they're good enough to, to win again. But they really, they had some pretty good players. But it was when Steve Kerr came on board that things really changed and went up another notch. And Kerr, of course, played for a couple teams during his NBA uh, stretch. One was the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan went on the tremendous run of numerous championships. And then Kerr went over to the San, uh, the uh, San Antonio Spurs and played for Popovich down there. And, and I don't know how many championship rings. I don't know, five or eight. I don't know. It was a huge number. Anyway, he's a very successful guy. So he'd done a lot of cool things, but his life has been marked by tragedy. And uh, his dad was uh, assassinated uh, as a professor in Lebanon. And so I will let you listen to this. And uh, so when you see him, if you watch him on television coaching this team, you know he's been through it in his life and uh, a very difficult experience. So here we go. Okay. I'm Natalie Summer. I'm a producer at 60 Minutes, and we produced a piece about the Golden State Warriors with correspondent John Wertheim. We spoke with um, some players, and we talked to the coach, Steve Kerr. What have you learned about this team so far this year? Uh, I think the thing I've learned about our team this year is just uh, that we're willing to put in the work. Now you continue to chase whoever's in that spot. But it's harder than ever. He has eight NBA championship titles to his name, five of those as a player, and then went on to be a broadcaster. He worked for the Suns. He was never coached before. Uh, the Warriors, under new ownership, uh, came calling, and he was hired to be coach of this team. Watch some, some Laker highlights and Matchups and you could easily do a 60 Minutes piece on Steve Kerr alone. And then when you meet him, um, you know, you get the sense that actually, yeah, this guy has lived, you know, this incredible life. We lived around the world and, and uh, we lived, I was born in Beirut. We lived in Egypt and France, Tunisia. So I got a pretty worldly education at a young age. Assassins gunned down a prominent American civilian in Lebanon this morning, Malcolm Kerr. Lebanon's civil American war today claimed another American life. The victim this time, however, was a scholar. A pro-Iranian Shiite Muslim terrorist group, Islamic Jihad, has claimed responsibility for killing Dr. Kerr. When he was 18, 
Uh, he was playing college ball in Arizona. And his father, Malcolm Kerr, 52 years old, was stepping off an elevator at the American University of Beirut, walking to his office, and he was shot twice in the back of the head and killed. Lebanon was sort of in the midst of a civil war. He was targeted because he was the kind of highest profile American that was easily accessible at the time. I think that the way Steve Kerr coaches the team reflects that experience. How does sudden tragedy impact the way you coach? Tragedy, we sort of all have to deal with it at some point in our lives. Um, but when, when it happens, uh, for me, at 18, when it happens early in your life, it gives you a better awareness of how fragile everything is. And so when you, when you get to a good thing, you want to hold on to it, uh, whether that's uh, your family, uh, a certain job, a team that you're coaching, an era that uh, within that time and space where your team is achieving and succeeding like we are right now. You just want to hang on to everything um, because you know it's you know, nothing lasts. Steve Kerr and his family were directly impacted by gun violence. You know, he speaks out on a lot of issues. I think he feels like he really has a platform on that issue because he speaks from personal experience. He fosters that on the team as well. He brings in a lot of speakers. He gives his players the freedom to say what they want on these issues. Coach Kirsch says he sometimes puts politics and social issues on the agenda for, for practice. How does talking about that help you guys win basketball games? It doesn't help you win basketball games. It helps you keep a perspective about your life. So there might be stuff that is said and locker room practice about an issue that you might not have looked at it the same way and you can learn. When people say what's it like to play for Steve, what do you, what do you tell them? He doesn't really get in the way too much of uh, letting us be who we are, but at the same time he preaches discipline, uh, teaching every single day and wanting to learn the game and I think that he has great qualities when it comes to that. Steve Kerr came on board five years ago. He took the job in 2014. And uh, since then, the Warriors have gone on to win three championships. And they'll be going for a third straight championship, a three-peat, this season. We talk about it all the time. We're so lucky to be here. We're so lucky to play on this team, to coach this team, to be together. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy this time. Uh, let's ride. Let's keep riding it out. So, uh, OK. So. When you see if the Warriors make it on the way through, all the way through. But uh, Kerr is a, quite a liberal guy, Steve Kerr, and uh, he's, a, he's a Trump hater. But it's interesting that his dad, Malcolm Kerr, uh, was a very, he was probably the, one of the highest profile Lebanon Americans in Lebanon teaching at the American University. And as you, as you heard, Kerr was, uh, you know, they, they were, had lived in Egypt, all over the, you know, they were raised in foreign soil. And then he got sent over his parents, like a lot of missionaries do. They send their kids back to the States to see whether they want to be here and, and go to school. So that's what happened with Kerr. But I thought you'd like to, like to hear about that. Um, one, the, uh, I don't know whether I have it here. I just watched it. Or maybe, actually, maybe I'm going to play it. Uh, yeah, we already played it. So you earlier in the show, you heard former Obama, Barack Obama, when he was president, his Border Patrol chief, 
uh, told you why there's a tremendous crisis on the border. So it's interesting that some of these people that have served vastly politically different administrations are now agreeing. Even Jay Johnson, the head of Homeland Security, said what's going on at the border is just nutso. But we have people here that have lost their that have lost their minds. So. Uh, so you need to find out your news other than on CNN. Hold that thought, right? All right. So um, this, let me see if I can find this, what I'm talking about here. I, it just seems like in California, there's no agency that can actually do something right. It, the DMV registers a bunch of people to vote that have no right to vote in this country. Maybe they had a right to get a license, but they don't have a right to vote. So they had thousands of people. They registered to vote, and they shouldn't have been registered to vote, right? And uh, you remember the parks when we had the uh, downturn in the economy and Schwarzenegger was in there, and and uh, so he said, hey, we're going to cut back on this. We're going to cut back on that. We're going to lay off people, furlough people. And then the parks people were saying, hey, if you're not going to vote for more taxes, then we're going to close all the parks. Even though you paid taxes already once, we're going to close all the parks. Well, it turned out that they had like bajillions of millions of dollars stashed. I think it was $20 million that they fraudulently hid uh, just to make, to punish people for not doing what they tell them to do. It's interesting how government more and more is trying to treat us like they're serfs, they're, they're peasants, you know. And so they just jerk you around. If you won't do what they say or you rebel against that, then they will punish you like, oh, well, we're not we're going to cause you to have to ration water and we're going to take a, we're going to charge you extra money to get water and we're going to charge you this. And you're not going to be able to come to the parks and camp with your kids, even though it's their summertime off. So that's what they did with the parks thing. So now the recent thing is it just. You pay, you know, these people are some of the highest paid people in the state working for government. Now, says California is reviewing 23,500 state tax refunds. Now, have you have you filed your tax refund? If you haven't, you're late. If you did what I did since I was tied up for a while, I just filed an extension because I'm not going to owe much anyway. But I filed an extension and I'll knock it out here in the next week or so. But. California, of the ones that were already filed, uh, 23,500 were sent refunds erroneously. You know, where does this end anyway? The department responsible for collecting state personal income and corporate income taxes said a system error from March 8th to March 11th caused the Franchise Tax Board, to issue refunds to people without first verifying the amount of money people claimed was automatically taken out of their paycheck. I don't even, I understand what that says right there, but how, how do you screw that up, right? As a result, as many as 23,500 Californians might have their income tax returns changed or adjusted. Though the board said the vast majority aren't expecting to change. So, do you think that the government has ever got penalized for screwing you over like that? It's never happened. You file your taxes late without filing the extension. You owe them a little extra money. You get penalized two and three times. Right? 
they screw up, they send you back the wrong amount of money, they do something weird, no penalty. You stand in the DMV all day, miss a day at work, because they screwed up, they can't get the proper computer programs to work properly, or even the the, uh, State Board of Equalization, they couldn't even guarantee that they were charging people the right taxes if they bought a vehicle out out of state. They couldn't they couldn't sort that out. Or if they were in state and they were in one of these special tax areas like Yuba County's trying to be or Marysville, they just wouldn't guarantee uh, if you bought a if you bought a car somewhere else that they would charge the right amount of tax. Isn't that amazing? You can't they can't eat, the government is so complex they they can't even manage this thing. They can't even manage it. You ever seen a, uh, you ever been at the Cow Palace? What a name for a place, the Cow Palace. I always wondered about that place. Are just cows roam around in there? What's the deal? Cow Palace. I guess they've had rodeos there in San Francisco. And a big old building. I don't know whether, I went to see the Warriors back in the 1960s play. My my half-brother took me. And uh, I don't know whether we went to the Cow Palace or not, or we went to or. Uh, the Coliseum there along the freeway. But it seemed like we went to Cow Palace. Uh, and that that was that would have been the San Francisco Warriors. You know, they've changed their name. They were on that side of the, the puddle, uh, San Francisco Warriors. Then they came over and then they became the uh, Golden State Warriors, locating out of Oakland. Now they're moving back to San Francisco. And I don't know what we're going to call them, but they're going to move into a brand new facility over there. I guess it's next year. So uh, the Cow Palace in San Francisco, uh, they, like all these arenas, you know, you have these arenas, they have basketball and truck poles and motorcycle competitions. You know, they have all in concerts, country western or rock concerts. You know, they can do it all, right? And uh, so I guess the Cow Palace is one of these multi-venues. So the Cow Palace has hosted a number of gun shows each year major gun shows like I, i'll tell you what i went to the cow palace for i went down for like an outdoor specialty deal like boats and you know they have sailboats and they they all these cool boats and they were selling boats and promoting boating and the whole place was full of these huge boats so it's interesting the cow palace they were bringing in a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year profit uh by hosting gun shows but the liberals on the board says you know we're going to we want to eliminate we don't care about that 125,000 if you wonder why government is so screwed up they just will drop something and lose 125,000 in a hot second then they'll turn around and tax you to make the difference up so um anyway they're going they're they voted to eliminate uh any gun shows and uh, and I think eventually they're talking about tearing down the whole cow palace. So th- here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. You know, sometimes we get used to relying on government for things like having gun shows at the cow palace. But the fact is there's private venues to do the same thing where the people running those venues, privately owned venues, where they would be delighted to make 125,000 profit. In fact, I would even help them put on gun shows for 125,000 profit. And uh, so they say they've got plenty of alternatives, but uh, 
but they've had it they they have this group called Brady Campaign Against Gun Violence and they urged the board to adopt the policy residents of the neighborhoods surrounding the cow palace which bear the burden of gun violence in the area like having a gun show is going to create gun violence have been protesting the show since the 1990s so now both all these women from down there like Diane Feinstein and Kamala Harris. Did you know they're all packing heat themselves? Plus they have guards. Sure, they got it all. But they don't like gun shows. They think, oh, it's all right for them to shoot somebody, but it's not okay for me to shoot somebody. So just something to think about. So you gun enthusiasts, we just they're not saying we can't have gun shows anywhere we want. They're just saying you can't have them at the Cow Palace. So there you go. Well, uh, let's see. I want to talk about, uh, I don't know. Did you see this on the internet? I saw it was so fascinating. I was cruising through the Facebook page looking at something. And I saw a hearing hearing in the Senate. And uh, Ted Cruz was doing the talking. But not just Ted Cruz, but some liberal people. And they were interviewing representatives from like Twitter and Facebook and maybe even Google. And did you know that we mentioned it last week that when unplanned, the movie was just getting ready to break forth. It was their introductory weekend that that all of a sudden their Twitter account got taken down and they were blocked from advertising on these platforms. They call them Google, Facebook. They got blocked. Now, why do you think they would do that? Do you think they did that? Because, you know, did you also know that you know how they put a rating on? On movies, like if, if it's a good movie for children or if it's a not so good movie for children, they do restricted and they tell you what age uh, that you have to have. You could you could look at it up to a certain age or down down if you're an adult down to a certain age. And then below that, you have a parent with you or something, something. You know how that right. The movie industry, this unplanned movie on abortion. It's a true story about a lady that ran an abortion clinic. They they had no violence, no sex, no language, and they gave that an R rating. I think rating stands for restricted or raunchy. <laughs> and they put they put an R rating on a movie uh, that is totally ridiculous. And so Ted Cruz and some other senators begin to question these guys and i'm telling you they were sharp guys they looked like nice guys actually but they were squirming in the chair right when they said how come you would like who's who's making the decisions over there and all you are all you guys liberals over there and i like cruz because he knows the law he, he, he used to argue cases before the supreme court and he said if you want to say you're anti-conservative that's okay with me I, we just want to know what you're doing and and because you're claiming to be unbiased. So if you, you have a right to not be biased, I mean, you have a right to be biased or not be biased. So if you say, hey, we're we're mainly representing the liberal cause. Why don't you just admit that? Because what you're saying now is you're trying to get advertiser dollars from anybody in the world. But then you block things that. It ticks them off. So they, they blocked this unplanned movie 
trying to hurt it at the box office, right? The timing was impeccable. Then they, they took uh, a quote by Mother Teresa and called it hate speech, and they took that down. And so they had it printed in big block letters in the Senate gallery there. And they showed it to them, and I'm telling you, uh, those boys, and, you know, it's just so pitiful when you, you look at these guys and they're liars. You know they're liars. Everybody in the room knows they're liars. And uh, it's too bad their mom wasn't around so she could jack slap them or shove a bar of soap in their mouth. But they're liars, and they're, they defraud the public. And then they keep saying, well, we have these reviews and these teams that are international teams, and this could have been taken out of context. It's just so much mumbo, double speak. It's ridiculous. So uh, they went after these guys, and and I don't know what you feel about the internet. Uh, maybe some of you feel that we should have government regulation. I'm not into government regulation. I think just let. My feeling is, just call them on their bias. Let them be biased, and somebody else start doing some alternative ways of communication will people who don't like the bias just won't support them anymore. Right. Instead of trying to, the more the government gets involved, the more screwed up everything gets. So do you remember the engineer that left Google or, or started to complain about Google and they canned him? They just canned his rear end. But, but what the government's trying to do now is to get a handle and they want to start telling, um, these different social media platforms, they want to be able to create the rules for them as, as opposed to let them create the rules. It's interesting that when they questioned uh, Zuckerberg, he, he felt, this is a few months ago, he was really out front and said, hey, Silicon Valley is basically a liberal uh, enclave of people. And these guys just jumped around from Twitter and everything. They were like not wanting to say that, well, you know, they were just mamby-pamby about that. They would not want to come clean. But what's happening is is, is there is a, uh, a move on by the government to start managing these different entities. Uh, it, this uh, guy named Robert Epstein, he's a Harvard-trained psychologist, uh, he studied, he studied the inner workings of these tech companies. And he says, uh, there, there are Google blacklists. Maybe have you ever been punished? I've heard people, my friends have been punished by Facebook. I never have. I don't, I don't really post anything, but so they wouldn't should punish me, but people pu publish things and they'll say, they'll give them a slap on the hand, right? You can't, you can't say that. You can't say this. You can't say that. So, um, so Epstein, Dr. Robert Epstein says global blacklists, uh, Google Maps, YouTube, Google accounts, Gmail, Google Docs, Google Plus, YouTube, Google Wallet, Google News, Google AdWords, Google AdSense, Google search engine, and its quarantine list. You, he said, you may disagree, but in my view, Google's blacklisting practices put the company into the role of thuggish Internet cop, a role that was never authorized by any government, 
nonprofit organization or industry association. So uh, I liked Cruz's tone of questioning because he isn't saying that I, that he was for totally controlling them. Now, here's another one. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kay Coles James. Kay Coles James. She's black. She's conservative. She used to work with, uh, I think, Focus on the Family or one of the other family organizations. Now she's the head of the Heritage Foundation, a very reputable foundation, conservative foundation, right? Uh, so it says here, Google's sensitivity isn't just Internet-related. Earlier this year, it formed a new advisory council on artificial intelligence. Heritage Foundation president and conservative Kay Coles-James was invited to join. That was an affront to 2,500 Google employees who signed a Googlers Against Transphobia and Hate petition seeking James Ouster, describing her appointment as a weaponization of the language of diversity. Now, if that isn't a bunch of liberal gobbledygook, I don't know what is. And so... Primate, like they, Cruz and some of the other people in the Senate panel asked, do you have a vetting system where you only hire liberals? And they claimed they didn't. I think they're liars. I think they, without speaking it, they eliminate people that are obviously conservative. So uh, Kay Coles James says, but the Google employees didn't just attempt to remove me. They greeted the news of my appointment to the council with name calling and character assassination. James herself explained they called me anti-immigrant and anti-LGBTQ and a bigot. It's interesting, black people. That was an odd one because I'm a 69-year-old black woman who grew up fighting segregation. Anyway... This article says, in a shameful display of cowardice, Google ousted James and disbanded the board. That's what happens when liberals can't uh, have integrity in these areas. They just finally, they take, their di- they take their marbles and go home. Now, here's another one. There's a guy named Jeffrey Lord. He's a great writer. He's a columnist. And he writes for a number of magazines. But one is is the American Spectator, which I like to read. It's a conservative uh, view. It's been, it's 52 years old. It's a mainstream conservative magazine, and it's banned by Google. I want you to think about that. This isn't a Nazi magazine or a violence magazine or a pornography magazine. This is a 52-year-old mainstream conservative magazine banned by Google. That should tell you the real agenda of Google. Google is a high-tech giant run by would-be left-wing tech totalitarians. That's what's going on here. We'll be right back. We're going to play you a couple more clips, and then uh, we've got some more talking to do. It's just another day, and it's just another show. I don't want to go. How do you stop a terrorist from waking up tomorrow and shooting everyone in Times Square? That threat is on the president's desk every single morning, and our failure to take it seriously proves how weak we've become. That's what happens when the country is run by political and media cowards 
who cling to their naive belief that the whole world shares our values. Even when Americans are slaughtered by hate-filled jihadists on our own soil, radical Islam is as evil, violent, and threatening to the future of the world as the Nazis were. It is a tragedy that at a time of such confusion, America is led by people so gutless that instead of identifying the enemy, they distract us with political attacks on the gun rights of the law-abiding. I don't know what motivates politicians, but I know the rule of war. The weak get slaughtered, and we are at war. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. is nohostagesradio.com and uh, we're glad you're listening today and we're, we're glad you're a part of us. If you know other people that used to listen to us on the other radio station or the, on the radio station that we used to be at for many years, uh, give them a shout out if you will and kind of direct them over here. I never had a, you never have a list of your listeners. I had some people that contacted me by text over the years or wanted to tell me something. So, uh, do me a solid, do me a favor and help them out. Say, go over here and listen. So I was mentioning before the break, we were talking about, you know, I, I use Google and I, uh, I look at the Google news and it's obviously left, left wing news, which is fine. I don't, I'm not against reading left wing news. I just, I, I have my own bias, my own filter. And, uh, but oh my goodness, Facebook is just, they just scream people out. They stop things left and right. So what what I don't like, what I think this, what I hope Senator Cruz and other senators are getting at is like, let's stop the hypocrisy. Why don't you just admit that you hate conservatives and you love liberals? And hey, I, we can live with that. It's just like we don't claim that you're this unbiased, even playing, level playing field. And uh, you're never going to block anybody that has a legitimate uh, thing like like he kept saying, Cruz kept asking him, what about Mother Teresa? Are you saying that's hate speech right there? You're saying Mother ha- Mother Teresa has hate speech. And honestly, they just, a minute would go by. They wouldn't even answer. They would just sit and stare at him. They were just so dumbfounded because they, it was stupid what they were saying. They're, they were just lying. It's just, uh, it's you know, it, the whole thing. You know, there, you know, there's a reason why when Moses came off the mountain, one of the ten don't be don't be doing this things on the tablet was don't be lying right it's pretty it's pretty intense people just lie it's almost like they don't even have to lie they lie so james uh k cole james head of the heritage foundation a very fine person i've watched her talk before i thought this is a very nice lady she's booted right off the artificial intelligence uh, panel because 2,500 Google employees that are liberal ain't going to, you know, if you're conservative, this I told my friend who wants to go to college, I said, honestly, most colleges are worthless. It's not worth it going to them. It's not worth paying the money. They're biased. They don't teach you how to think. They teach you what they want you to say. And these 2,500 Google employees, they're not interested in diversity they're not interested in hearing another opinion on how to make their uh, their organization or their media outlet better, more provocative. 
she says, they say, describing her appointment as a weaponization of the language of diversity. Honestly, people, this is so out there and screwball. Did you know that Google is helping the Chinese, the communists, to monitor their people's every move through their phone systems and stuff where they knew what they know where everybody is all the time. Google is assisting. If you think they're pro-American, you need to think again. So it says here, but the Google employees didn't just attempt to remove me. They, they went after me for name calling and character assassination. She says, Jeffrey Lord, who I mentioned before the break is a really great writer. And he writes the American Spectator. I used to subscribe to it. Now I can just get it on the Internet. Uh, so they say Google is a high-tech giant run by and for would-be left-wing tech totalitarians. If you saw Jeffrey Lord, that's, he's just like a decent-looking guy. He's not any wild-eyed guy. But that's what's happening over there. And, and if you... If you uh, all of a sudden show up as anything but that they will can you and pay the consequences. So Lord goes on and writes, unfortunately taking on Google and other equally biased tech Titans is a problem as private companies. They can do what they want. I think they should be able to do what they want. I'm into freedom. I'm also what I do. I don't feel they should lie. I don't think there should be laws against deception in advertising, right? There are, we got more laws than we could shake a stick at. Those laws should protect people from being harmed by other people or from businesses, right? So, um, what to do? Colonist Roger Stone proposes government deregulation, not more regulation, but deregulation. He says legislation could be passed forbidding social media from keeping anybody out, right? In other words, you're going to have this. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't even know whether this is legal anymore, but in restaurants around town here, they would have a sign in the window. No shoes, no shirt, no service, right? So it's like they didn't care what ethnicity you were. Uh, they just said, hey, we want to have a, a basically a health standard here, right? No shoes, no shirt, no service, right? So what, what columnist Roger Simon is saying is we should have legislation passed forbidding social media from keeping anybody out, censoring anybody, accepting a very few people such as child pornographers, and that's already against the law. Now, what do you think about that? I, I like that, but but what this is going to show is their bias. They have an agenda. It's interesting that Trump won in spite of all the media, except a small fraction, and in spite of the social media people, a hundred percent being against him. It's fascinating that it's it's a miracle that he won, whether you like him or not. It's just I don't know how he won. It's just to have that many people against you. you had the Republican Party, the Democrat Party the media and the social media. It's just unbelievable. So, so the question is here, the writer says, keeping people out? How about dealing people in? Like copyright protections. Congress should pass a law requiring tech giants to compensate Americans for using their personal data. Do you ever put personal data on there? 
that data, which Google and other tech giants currently get for free, like if you put personal data, they harvest that data and sell it to people. They're generating a multi-billion dollar revenue stream. Revenue streams that have made them the most powerful and influential entities in the history of mankind. So it's interesting. Our, kind of our knee-jerk reaction as taxpayers is we, uh, we just want to control everything. Yeah, we need more. We need another law. We need more cops. We need this. We need that. We need the other thing. Or... Like, uh, I know my friend Jeff Stevens and Cherie Stevens out there at Stevens Farmhouse. Jeff got so frustrated. He had posted on Facebook of people dumping their garbage out in, in these beautiful orchards. Old refrigerators and broke up plastic chairs and funky old mattresses. That's all. It, and, and so he'd get furious, posted on a picture on Facebook. Then he had an idea. And he started an organization now, a grassroots organization, and got a bunch of partners. And they go out and pick up 20, 30, 40,000 pounds, 50,000 pounds of garbage that people could have taken to the dump themselves. But uh, they thought that somebody else, like their mother, was supposed to, to go out and pick that up as they dump it outside somewhere along a ditch or something polluting or whatever. So... So anyway, Jeff did something positive. You know, somebody was saying the other day, I was talking about anger management and I do three anger management classes in the Yuba County jail. And I was saying the other day is one of our problems is, as people is sometimes we come and we just think there's only one solution uh, to solve this particular problem. And so the fact is there's many solutions and we just haven't thought of them yet. So usually our, our reaction is that we just think this is a solution. We want government, 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 more laws, more laws, more laws. At one time in the city of Marysville, they installed, you remember the red light cameras? Uh, mainly a Democrat, liberal, control freak city council put red light cameras, cost everybody a lot of money. And then 10 or 15 years later, they all decided to take them back out. Just crazy. If you want to look for people that want to control your every freedom, uh, that is the the liberal party. And so uh, it's interesting, you know, do you care whether there would be a whites only restaurant and blacks can have their own restaurant? Uh, it actually goes on in that same philosophy goes on sometimes in our society right now for instance at a uh, university this is several years old a university uh, they had intramural sports just like they'd have their you know you could play for the college team uh, if you could if you're that good but a lot of people were pretty good and they didn't want to give up playing basketball or volleyball but they couldn't make the team so they had an intramural uh, campus volleyball system and so people had to pick a name to describe their their uh, club and so there were all kinds of names and uh you know there was names the the black Af black Amer black uh, african-american or african-american volleyball latino volleyball so there was a group of guys that happened to be white guys and gals and they called themselves the white team and the white team could not have a team named a white team right it's fascinating how we have this double standard you could call them the black team but you couldn't call them the white team. It's just crazy thinking is what it is. So uh, 
so I like Roger Simon's proposal. If you pass legislation, then you, you couldn't forbid to keep anybody out. Interesting. It's still a form of control. And the other, the other alternative is to let them just be uh, controlled by the left. And that, that like, like I, uh, a lot of my friends, I think all the young people have left Facebook and I think it's all old people that are on there anymore. But a lot of them are conservative people that I know I'm connected with on there or drug dealers. And, uh, but it's interesting how they're on there. And so Facebook is making money off them going on there and these ads being exposed to them. But the fact is, um, they're supporting a group that is working against them, both philosophically, uh, morally, ethically, and politically. It's, that's what's happening. So if somebody posts something on Facebook that's anti-abortion or anti-deviant sexual behavior, uh, they could get spanked by, by Facebook or, uh, I guess, by the people at Twitter. Uh, I'm not that involved in, in other forms other than Facebook and some of those things. So it's just something to think about it because it's going to be dealt with. And they got so blatant uh, during this latest uh, effort to during the Trump presidency. And I think even the, the if you look at the national media, even like 80 percent of the coverage is anti-Trump. And uh, so that's that's a predicament. So, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, he's running for president again. Have you been fascinated by who's running for president on the on the liberal side? Bernie Sanders is a guy that never really had a career. Did you know that? Uh, and he's basically a communist at heart. And I think he may be. Maybe he's up from Vermont. That's his, where he rep, is represented. But Mona Sharon, C-H-A-R-E-N, a Jew, she wrote, wrote a good article. And she said in 2016-17, Bernie Sanders, you know, he's all, he's a, he's, he was the one behind uh, all these people that are rich, wanting to take him down, like uh, Pocahontas was too, Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, they always complain about the rich, but they're, they're filthy rich. But but they everybody seemed to overlook that because they want to attack the rich. So Bernie Sanders raked in over a million dollars in 2016-17. Last year, his gross income was down to 561000 Pretty good money, right? Half a million dollars. Uh, but the fact is, he's in the top 1% one, 1 of of income earners in the country, the very people that the Democrats claim they're fighting against and hating. But the Democrats, when you look at the money they're making are some of the most wealthy people in the world. I'm talking about even above Republicans, right? I don't really care if somebody makes millions of dollars and I only make 20,000 a year. I don't have a bone to jealousy in my body. I'd just go eat a hot dog and a cup of coffee. I'm fine. I, Hey, it's fine. It's not something I live for. I'm not interested in money, right? So I'm not ragging on them because they make a lot of money. Just like some people say, oh, Trump, oh, we want his tax returns because he's just filthy rich. It's like, what's wrong with being rich? Let him be rich. Try to spend it, you know, 
it's hard to spend money, get rid of a lot of money, unless you really do stupid stuff. So, uh, but it's interesting, Mona Charin wrote about people's generosity, and uh, there's a guy named Brooks, I can't remember his first name, he wrote a book, Who Really Cares?, and it's his, his research from the American Enterprise Institute. He's the president. It's like, you know how you think, oh, the liberals are the most generous people in the country. It's far from it. It's far from it. And the, the, tracks, the, the uh, statistics do not bear it out. So Bernie, who he's Mr. of the people, by the people, right? He's down there with the people. He only contributed to charity about 3.4% of his income. 3.4%. Now, in church, if if you're, a lot of churches don't make a big deal of this, but a lot of them, they talk about tithing, right? Talks about in the Bible. That's 10%, right? So a lot of church people, they tithe to because they believe in the cause around the world of whatever the church is up to, that particular church. But it's interesting when you look at some of these candidates. Now, Bernie, he only gave 3.4% of his his income uh, but compared to others, he was pretty generous. Now, Beto or Robert O'Rourke, who's a big hot shot, he ran against uh, Ted Cruz down in Texas. Now they, he's kind of running for president. He said, I couldn't be a senator. I think I'll try for president. So he contributed only one-third of 1% one of his 2017 income of $370,000. Now, Beto O'Rourke is a guy, he's a hit-and-run driver, too. Did you know that? So, and he also may have underpaid his taxes by $4,000 by taking medical deductions in excess of the permitted limit. Shame on him. But if you're a liberal, remember Tim Geithner, who they wanted him to be the Secretary of the Treasury? Remember Tim? And then as they vetted him, they realized he, he hadn't paid his proper taxes and he still owed thirty-two dollars or $33,000. But there were a number of people in that Obama administration in his cabinet that they, they just didn't pay taxes and they got caught and had to go back and pay back taxes and then go on and be a part of the cabinet. Now, that's why I'm talking about from earlier today, the fact that uh, that certain people get away with crimes and other people don't, right? And you get a pass if you're a liberal. So uh, then Amy Klaubuchar or Klaubuchar, K-L-O-B-U-C-H-A-R, Cloud Butcher, maybe. Kamala Harris and Kirsten Killebrand all gave less than 2% of their incomes away. Isn't that amazing? Cory Booker and Mayor Pete Buttigieg have yet to release their tax returns. President Trump's hiding behind uh, his need to do so. But I would, uh, I don't have no idea what he, he would, how much he would be giving. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. I don't know. He's been giving away all his salary, right? $100,000 a quarter. He gets $400,000 a year. So he's been giving it back to government entities. So uh, so the question this writer says, or Mona Sharin asks, Bernie Sanders, how can you sleep at night knowing that you became rich at the expense of the middle class and poor? In other words, where did he get all that money? Where did he get it? Well, they got it after they got into office. They couldn't figure out how to make that money before they got into office. So uh, 
So she says he would doubtlessly protest. I made my money by selling thousands of copies of our revolution book. He wrote speaking on Fox news. He was defiant. If anyone thinks I should apologize for writing a best-selling book, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. But she says he should apologize because according to his own logic, how many times has Bernie Sanders alleged that millionaires and billionaires are siphoning off all of the nation's wealth and hoarding it for themselves? And he's doing the exact same thing. Here is a typical example from a, uh, an interview with the Des Moines Register. He says, is it right that the middle class continues to disappear while there have been a massive transfer of wealth from working families to the top one-tenth of one percent trillions of dollars in the last 30 years have flowed from the middle class to the top one-tenth of one percent and the american people say no that's just not right this is bernie's own words so uh Anyway, he says, in fact, he's down here. Mona Sharon says, in fact, the rich tend to improve the lives of other Americans. Check this out. It's not always always. Uh, she says it's also not true, not remotely. Millionaires and billionaires acquire wealth by producing products. You know, a lot of times people think, well, they just got the money given to them. But the fact is, the ones I'm thinking of, million, millionaires and billionaires acquire wealth by producing products and services that other people want to buy like Steve Jobs. Like I see a lot of Apple computers when I travel around the world, that little Apple thing's everywhere, right? And I think everybody's happy to buy that product because it's just a gift of it's an amazing gift of a tool by a guy that made a bajillion dollars off it. I don't feel I don't fit feel any jealousy towards those people. So from computers to Greek yogurt to bad books like Our Revolution. Sure, she says, some millionaires and billionaires are born into wealth, but even they aren't, haven't subtracted from the net worth of any other American. In fact, the rich tend to improve the lives of other Americans by, number one, providing them with jobs. Number two, buying the products they manufacture. Number three, paying high taxes. Number four, contributing generously to charities. Well, most rich people, anyway, not presidential contenders. As for Sanders' notion that we have witnessed a transfer of wealth from the working families to the top tenth of one percent, Bernie is just a bunch of hogwash. How did that transfer happen? Were working families taxed heavily and the tippy top one percent excused? In this case, though it would be wrong to call a transfer of wealth the money, a transfer of wealth. It would amount to the rich being free riders when it comes to enjoying the goods of government, including national defense, et cetera, et cetera. So the, I don't know, do you know in California where we pay, I think the top tax rate for California state taxes is something like 13.1% if you're over a million or $2 million or $3 million. And that the, did you know that a lot of Californians don't pay any tax? I'm talking about income tax. Don't pay any tax at all because most of the tax, 70% above is is paid in california by the wealthy that's why a lot of rich successful athletes uh they they don't want to live here so they move to florida or to texas or in another state where they can uh, they they can keep more of their money hey d is there anything wrong with that not a thing not a thing so if you have jealousy shame on you 
you know, that's a bad habit to have. It's a bad habit you need to get fixed. If you got jealousy or you compare yourselves to other people, that's not a good thing. Just go out there and work hard and get as much money as you want. You want two cars, three cars, four cars, five cars, go get one. Go get yourself something. This is America. So I want to talk to you about a really amazing uh kind of a funky topic here that says the title is why we cannot be silent by a guy named michael brown and i'm wondering if it's michael brown that was the head of the revival down there in brownsville texas do you remember that brownsville you're texan yeah you should know all that so michael i don't know what it says go ahead he says ban me block me uh Hold a second, my computer jumped up in the air. Block me, get out of, get out your nasty dictionary and vilify me. Call me obsessed, hateful, bigoted, have at it. The fact is there are a million things I'd rather to write about, but the state of the world leaves me no choice. To be silent is to give tacit approval. To be silent is to accept. To be silent is to capitulate. And that's not going to happen. A Democratic leader announces his presidential candidacy, and then turns to kiss his same-sex partner, and the crowd celebrates. Sorry, ain't no celebrating going on over here. A growing number of parents are devastated after their vulnerable, confused, trans-identified trans daughters have had their breasts removed, only to realize they're actually women. Or their sons have had their private parts altered, only to realize they're actually boys. There we be silent, even health workers are raising their voices in protest. All right, so let me just... My computer jumped on me again. So, there's a coalition called the Kelsey Coalition, K-E-L-S-E-Y, and it says, history is replete with medical scandals, frontal lobotomies to treat mental illness. Do you remember that? I think they did that on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Do you remember that movie? Frontal lobotomies were, were the fad at one time. Forced sterilization. Do you remember that? Forced sterilization was done to blacks in this country and other minorities because they didn't want them to reproduce anymore and create more weeds. They called them human weeds. That would be Margaret Sanger and those eugenics people in the early 1900s. Forced sterilization to control undesirable populations. The infamous... Tuskegee experiment. Do you remember that? That was an experiment on black people. Indefensible, unethical medical procedures were performed for years. Why did it take so long to stop them? Well, history is repeating itself. Today, young people are often prescribed risky hormone therapies or treatments. And not a single long-term study supports such risky medical inventions. Worst of all, minor children may be treated surgically. Girls may have their breasts removed at the age 13 and their uterus at the age of 16. Is this unbelievable? It just like blows my mind. I'm reading. I can't believe what, I'm, what they're writing here. Thank you, Michael Brown. Teen boys may have their penis and testes removed shortly after the 16th birthday because they think they're, somebody's convinced them they're a female. This is social madness. How can we just sit idly by? So Brown argues, because he's a, a Christian fellow, 
I believe it's the same Michael Brown I'm thinking about. He says, our moral framework is collapsing and our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will pay dearly for it. You know, I've, I've, that's a thing that I constantly think about. Go ahead and use drugs. If you want to start drinking a lot of alcohol, see how that works for you. You know, I tell people in juvenile hall and at jail, the only advantage I have on you is I got, I got a couple, a few decades that I've, I got some experience you haven't had yet. So that's the only advantage. You may be smarter than me, but I've, I have had more experience and I've watched people experiment and, and hit the wall, right? So Brown says it's love that motivates me and moves me. Love for God, love for America, love for the coming generations, and love for what is best for people. You can call it hate. You can brand me a Nazi. That will only encourage me to speak up all more clearly. On Monday, I tweeted, make no mistake about it. You can be polite, gracious, friendly, kind, and civil when discussing LGBT issues. But if you don't affirm the LGBT agenda, you will be branded a hateful, bigoted, Nazi homophobe. Don't be surprised unless you endorse them and and show them a lot of love and, and say, I'm for you, you're going to get trampled. In response, a concerned, a concerned mom posted this. She says, sad truth, even my daughter who goes to a Christian school comes under attack for defending what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. She gets so frustrated, cried today to me, uh, she cried today to me about having to defend two genders among a few of her friends. Jesus said, we would be persecuted, the woman said. How can I hold back after reading something like this? And note carefully, it's happening in Christian schools, Bible-believing schools, Jesus-exalting schools, or at least that's what they are supposed to be. Even here, the spirit of the world has become so per- pervasive that it is now controversial to affirm the Christian scriptures, in other words, the Bible, in an allegedly Christian school. It's controversial to state that there are two genders. Do you feel that when you say that out there? Yeah, I I feel the pressure. Just say this is how it is. Uh, So uh, I'm going to pick this up on the back side of this break. We're going to take a break and uh, have a couple more clips to play for you, and then we're going to finish up. Well, I'm not dumb, but I can't understand why she walked like a woman who talked like a Like a lot of people, I love to smoke, but my friends and family always make me go outside to do it. So that's why I now use E-Meth. It's crystal meth, but electronic, so it produces vapor instead of smoke. And that means I can ride the ice pony anywhere I want. Smoking is a social thing for me. Without my meth pipe, I don't know what to do with my hands. But now I do know what to do with them. Smoke meth. Good. Thanks to Emeth, now I don't even need to leave the bar to get my sweet shabu shabu. Mama can smoke that chunky white crunch anywhere at the office, at the grocery store, in a bathtub in the middle of the road, or face down in a big old tire. Emeth is healthier because it doesn't contain antifreeze, but it still has that great meth taste. Emeth lets me get totally gacked up on whoop chicken without yellowing my teeth. See? Perfectly white. What? Hello? This is he. Thanks to EMF, I can now even smoke inside my favorite restaurant. Excuse me, sir. 
You can't smoke meth in here. It's okay. It's electronic. I don't care. You in my living room and you naked. Meth is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor if you experience body rot, face melt, painful death, or fatigue. Your arms. The whole world just fades away and the only thing I hear is the beating of your heart. All right, Lou Benninger here, and we're wrapping up our last segment. And uh, if you uh, came in at the last minute, uh, we're I just want to give a shout out again to Elite Universal Security, Dave Greenitz Construction, and the Plumbing Doctor for helping us be on the air. If you want to call it on the air, uh, or on something, I can't explain it. It's a miracle. It just happens if you know what you're doing. So thank you, all you out there helping us. Uh, if you want us to give you a shout out, you want to get support this outfit, you can just give me a, a jingle at five three zero seven one three one eight three eight or or you can uh, you can text me there or you can send an email to Lou at nohostagesradio.com and uh, or how you know on Facebook some of you are connected to me on Facebook it's just Lou Benninger B I N N I N G E R L O U. So if you want to help uh, if you like what's going on here, good. If not, there's millions of podcasts they tell me. I haven't looked myself but there's a lot of them out there. So we're talking about the the public pressure to believe a lot of nonsense that people don't have any scientific evidence to prove. Isn't this sad? You introduce this to children. Like I think of the global warming thing, totally a crock, uh, causing kids to be afraid that they're going to, the whole country, the whole earth is going to burn up all of a sudden because of carbon dioxide. We used to be taught that carbon dioxide was a good thing, that it actually made plants thrive, and oxygen was good for us. It actually helped us thrive. But now it's just you know, we feed these kids a big crock of crap is what we feed them. So um, anyway, Michael Brown wrote this article about, hey, uh, the whole thing of people are afraid to say God made man and women. That's what he did. He didn't like do a misfire on some folks. And so this uh, Buttigieg, the mayor, he claims that if Mike, he attacked Mike Pence a week or so ago, and uh, Mike didn't do anything to him, but he attacked Mike Pence and he's in, because he's a Christian fellow. And he said, if you've got a problem with my lifestyle and, and, no, and, and me knowing God and my lifestyle of being a homosexual, then you need to take it up with God as if God is okay with it. But if you read the scriptures, nothing in there says that. But Michael Brown is making the point is people are so overwhelmed by that. People don't like to be called a hateful homophobe, la da da, right? So uh, in response, a concerned mom wrote, uh, she talked about her daughter, uh, getting hammered at school because she told a few of her friends that there are just two genders rather than unlimited number. Did you know there's an unlimited number of genders? No. And um, 
so he says, Michael Brown says, it's happening in Christian schools, Bible-leaving schools, Jesus-exalting schools, or at least that's what they're supposed to be. You even hear the spirit of the world has become so pervasive that it is now controversial to affirm the Christian scriptures, the Bible, in an alleged Christian school. It's controversial to state that there are two genders as opposed to infinite number. What on earth, he says, is coming next? No wonder this young lady is in tears. No wonder her mother was grieved. To be unmoved by this is to be indifferent, apathetic, compromised, and complacent. God forbid that should describe you or me. So he describes a Pat Buchanan article. Uh, Pat Buchanan is a conservative. He served in the Nixon administration. He ran for president a couple times. He's been a news commentator. He's a Catholic. So he wrote in a news news article, recent article that Pete Buttigieg, if Pete Buttigieg is right, since the time of Christ, Christians have ostracized and persecuted gays simply for being and behaving as God intended. Buttigieg is the affirmation gay presidential candidate. So Buchanan says, if this is true, what is the defense of Christianity? Said the progressive response is simply just rewrite the book, like rerun the Constitution. Uh, Buchanan also wrote after the sexual revolution of the 60s births out of wedlock rocketed to where 40% of all children are born without a father in the home as are half of Hispanics and 70% of black people today. Did you know that? So, you know, it's fascinating to me. Some kids tell me they're really angry in juvenile hall. The boy will be really angry where I ask him who his dad is. He said, I don't care. He said, I never seen my dad. Or I saw him when I was 10, never saw him again. Or he's in prison, and he's all, he's all PO'd. He's upset. That's why I'm angry, said my dad. But then I find out that he has a baby that he just had with a little 14 or 15-year-old girl. And I said, well, do you see any similarities there between your dad and you? Because now you're incarcerated, and nobody's taking care of that little kid. So isn't it interesting? In fact, uh, Walter Williams, who's a economics professor emeritus at George Mason University, still alive, still just full of amazing wisdom. He talks with much detail about the black family around the 1920s, the 30s, the 40s. And he said, actually, the black family was more intact with fathers and mothers than, uh, than white families were. They were the working poor, but their families were intact and kids did quite well. And so now we have 70 percent. Why did what what do you think caused that? Well, if you read this book, Tragedy of American Compassion by Marvin Olasky, he's a journalism professor from Texas. I always get it confused whether he's down there at the University of Texas or some other Texan university. Anyway, Marvin Olasky's a converted Jew. He's a Christian. He wrote a book called The Tragedy of American Compassion. That will set you on your ear in terms of your concepts on how good government is about helping in, in desperate situations. So uh, he says here, Pat Buchanan, pornography, which used to bring a prison term. Did you know if you were involved in pornography, you could go to prison? Today dominates cable TV. Buchanan says marijuana, once a social scourge, is the new hot product. 
and Senator Kamala Harris wants prostitution legalized. And on and on it goes, he says. And he says, in our families, in our schools, in our places of business, in the media, in the world of entertainment and sports, and in the world of social media, just like funky, right? Wherever we turn, Michael Brown says, there's confusion, there's deception, and there's darkness. Man, if you don't see that everywhere, you need to... You need to go talk to somebody that knows Jesus and get straightened out because it's funky out there. So if you want to read Pat Buchanan's article, I'll, I'll give you some tidbits out of it. But he says, Mayor Pete and the crack up of Christianity. Now, Pat, as I mentioned, Pat and his sister are both been public servants and, and have done whatever they could to Im- improve America as they were raised. And uh, they have a a moral bent to serving and helping. And uh, he says, he asks the question, is moral truth subjective? Does it change with changing times and changing attitudes? Or is there a higher law, a permanent law, God's law, immutable and eternal to which man's law should conform? Like, where do we get our laws? Like I tell kids in juvenile hall, I said, if you buy into the fact that you came from a monkey, it doesn't matter whether you shoot somebody in the head, shoot heroin, or shoot baskets. There, There is no right or wrong. It's just, oh, that country over there makes up that right or wrong. This country makes, they just come up, they just make stuff up. Like, we want to have sex with little boys or with, with donkeys. And so that's the law, and that's right. So at one time in this country, it was illegal to kill children in the womb. And now it's not. We can just kill them as what, much as we want. So Brown goes, or uh, Pat Buchanan goes on and says, as for example, the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, Christian teaching and natural law, unchangeable and applicable, applicable are the, is all this applicable to all men at all times? Or can some of the ten be consigned to the dumpster of moral prohibitions? Uh and so the cool thing, and I really like this. I, I think it's a good thing. One thing is you can be repelled by it, but the other thing is this is a good thing. The question, this question is, if, are there any moral absolutes uh, has been brought up by Put, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is a presidential candidate, Mayor Pete. He's proudly gay, and he's living happily with his husband. He said, I can't wait, wait to have some kids. Now, he's bringing up all these issues. Now, either uh, either there is right and wrong, and, and that's coming out of the Bible, the Judeo-Christian ethic, or it just doesn't make any difference. Uh, you can just make up your own rules as you go along, right? It's just like right now that we got all kinds of top people in the country that are violating the law and getting away with it. The Clintons, the Obamas, all kinds of people. They just... they. It, at the lowest level in America, you would do lots of prison time. But for them, because of who they are, they just get, they get a pass. So Mayor Pete says God made him this way, and he is living the life God intended for him to live. <clears throat> I would say something like that myself, <clears throat> that God has a purpose for my life, right? And I'm trying to keep on that purpose, right? And so Pete is saying that he is saying that it wasn't a case of lust and I got sexually attracted to a guy. And even though I knew it was wrong, I just went down that path or what a lot of homosexual older men do is 
what they call jump, jump with quotes around it, jump youngsters into the lifestyle. They groom them. They give them money. They take them out. They show them a good time. And then eventually they let them have sex with them. Right. So I'm not quite sure what what Pete's access into the business was or the social way. So uh, Buchanan says raising the same sex marriage issue himself. The mayor defiantly taunted Mike Pence. Now, Mike Pence has never gone out to attack anybody. Yes, he says, Mr. Vice President, it has moved me closer to God. This is Pete, Mayor Pete talking. That's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand, that if you have a problem with who I am, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. So it's clear that Buttigieg believed he didn't come from a monkey. Now, all these things are serious things. They say, I read somewhere one time, that said, if you can't sort out Genesis, the first book of the Bible, if you don't get that clear in your spirit and it doesn't set well with you, or you have, you have controversy with Genesis, you're probably not going to be able to hang with the rest of the Bible. Now, Buttigieg somehow has figured out that he was created versus he evolved from time plus, from slime plus time. That's Buttigieg. So, um, but what Buttigieg has done, which I'm thrilled about, he and he's showing the moral divide and it's going to be an issue in the 2020 election, the moral divide in this country. Is there, what is morality and who declares it's right or wrong? So, uh, in a general social survey, a data revealed this last weekend that Americans who profess to have no religion are at 23.1%, uh, and now exceed the amount of Catholics uh, by one-tenth one of a percent. And evangelicals are at 22.5%, and the nuns have grown to 266%, have grown by 266% since 1991. So there's a shift. But honestly, people, you know, I say, unless you're facing a real trauma in your life, you can you can argue that you're you're believing all kinds of stuff. It doesn't cost you a thing to just trash talk uh, until you find uh, you're laying on the deathbed and uh, you're going to head somewhere. Either you're you, if you believe you just lose consciousness and you're going to compost a tree. That's one deal. That's one deal. Or you can think, oh, well, I'm going to come back as somebody else. Reincarnation or I'm going to reached nirvana or some kind of buddhist bliss or you're going to meet god himself well he's going to have a chat with you so uh buchanan says we are becoming another p people a post christian america that's an after christian america post means after that appears to be our destiny well before the end of this century consider what has already changed in the 19th this is so fascinating in the 19th century, for you that went to local schools, that means the 1800s, blasphemy, or using God's name in vain, was an actual crime. In the Roaring Twenties, the vices of booze and gambling were outlawed. Now they are major sources of state revenue, right? And the state actually runs the lottery. Is that amazing? Divorce was a rarity, and you had to have reasons, legitimate reasons, that had to go to court, you had to argue reasons to get divorced. Now half of all marriages are dissolved. 
After the sexual revolution of the 60s burst out of wedlock, as I mentioned earlier, uh, rocketed to 40% of all children. Now, I don't know about you. I, I was raised in a, a blended family. I have a half-brother, half-sister, so we all shared the same mother, but I, uh, not the same dad. And so, uh, but I ended up in a, uh, a whole household. My mother and father stuck together, but it was different for my brother and sister who went on before me. And it had an effect on their life. I watched it having a, have an effect on their life. It was tough for them uh, trying to sort out what had happened in the previous family. But our family was steady. It wasn't perfect. Our family was steady. It wasn't Christian, but it was stable. And that was healthy for me. And it helped me. So when you have bursts out of wedlock and f females, basically what the government has done in the United States is saying, We're, your dad now is called government. We replaced your dad. And, they, and politicians felt that government could do just as good as dad. But that is a total... Uh, fabrication it's a fantasy so 40 uh, percent of all children are born without a father in the home half of percent half of the hispanics same 70 percent of all blacks same so uh so i quoted this in uh michael brown's previous article but uh i i am excited that uh, the situation that's going to be brought up here with uh, Pete Buttigieg. It's going to bring us to the forefront because people are going to have to think through, what do I believe? And it's kind of like saying, I've had people stop by the house here when I'm standing out watering, and they'll say, hey, I am confused. I can't, you know, because we have all these snarl of roads coming through Marysville. we got 20 that's going around a lake and 70 and... You know, there's a lot of traffic. Then you go over one of the bridges, and it gets people get confused. So they stop, and they want directions. If I was to say to them, it doesn't matter. Just take any way you want to go, and you'll get there. Just work at it, right? Just keep spinning the gas and, and get just go out that way. But a lot of people uh, have the luxury of thinking they're young, and they got a lot of years ahead of them, and it really doesn't make any difference what what they believe. It's all going to turn out fine in the end. So it isn't. It isn't. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting situation. But Buttigieg, I'm happy that he's running for, for president. And I think it's going to be great for us to, um, to sort out. So we got about uh, almost 12 minutes left. I want to talk about, uh, I talked about earlier when we started out today about Yuba County Office of Education and do schools really vet or look into the people, their people's character that they're hiring. And so uh, I, I've mentioned before that I do some volunteer work for the Yuba County uh, Sheriff's Department. And we do a bunch of classes. We do a 13, 14 sessions a week. And we're getting ready to expand those and try to help people have a better life when they get out, not come back to jail. How to treat their spouse better, how to treat their kids better, how to stay off drugs how to manage their money, how to get a good job, etc. Just help them with practical stuff and help them with the spiritual problems they have as well. So uh, the jail recently asked me to take PREA training, which is the uh, a federal training that uh, a law that was, was uh, passed by George Bush uh, when he was president because 
a lot of people were in jail or prison and they would get sexually assaulted there. Or sometimes correctional officers would end up in sexual relations with uh, an inmate. And they they said, hey, listen, we're going to create a, a zero tolerance zone about this. And you need to follow these rules. And these are the way to conduct yourself in the jail and uh, no uh, fraternization, as they call it, which I just call becoming overly familiar with your uh, your client, your your uh, inmate. Right. So that goes for juvenile hall. That goes even for things like probation. I mean, I know of a woman right now who a former probation officer uh, uh, used to have sex with her and usually threaten her. Uh, she because her mom was actually on probation and he would threaten to take her mom to jail, take her away from her unless the girl had sex with him. So she did. She was afraid. And so she was abused by someone in the system that should have actually been helping her and protecting her. So in Maryland, and I think we have these problems all over the United States, there's like there's problems in every jail of contraband coming in, right? Contraband. And I, I learned, I started learning about it, um, because I was naive, I didn't try to learn about it, but I'd learned about it bits and pieces from the inmates and bits and pieces from the correctional officers. So I realized that it's illegal to strip search a prisoner unless you really think they got something stuck up in a body cavity. You can't just strip search them. You got to have a legitimate reason. And uh, so therefore, uh, the in inmates told me that the female inmates often bring uh, contraband in their backpack, but it's, they don't have a backpack. So I want you to just think that through on what a backpack might be on a female, the way they could hide something. So they bring it in the backpack. Now, if you want to really be desirous to smoke something and take it out of somebody's backpack, I want you to think that through for a second. So it's a big problem. Uh, so like in and out of jails and prisons, there's people like me going in providing a service there's people going in doing quote-unquote church meetings bible studies there's lots of traffic going in and out of church i mean and not in and out of jails and uh so it's difficult to monitor everyone and you can't even check every prisoner can is that is, is that a mind blower to you so stuff gets in but in maryland they're cracking down and and it's a huge it's a huge problem and uh, it's one in California, too. It's interesting how inmates are calling people I know from from the prison system of California. They're they're calling on cell phones. They got cell phones in their cells. They're not supposed to have those. But they they're calling on cell phones and they're harassing people. So federal authorities in Maryland dismantled yet another smuggling ring of prison guards and inmates allegedly peddling heroin, cell phones, and pornography-loaded flash drives behind bars in exchange for sex and payments via B pay PayPal and Western Union money orders. Now, this PREA training I had to take strictly forbids this. It's all about—it was fascinating. As I took the training, a four-hour training, it was all about being a person of character and, use, and not using the power you have over people at your disposal in these jails— to leverage uh, stuff from them, right? So it said the crackdown at Maryland Correctional Institute uh, pushes to nearly 200 the number of guards, inmates, and civilian accomplices indicted 
in prison corruption cases across Maryland over the last four years. 200 people. Like I was at the Yuba County PREA training, and the two guys who did the training, it was a great training, mentioned that in their tenure working for Yuba County, it was about the same time, it seemed like about 14, 15 years or so, they'd had six different individuals that were fired. I don't know whether uh, they were arrested, but they were at least fired from the job because of uh, improper behavior. These are correctional officers who went through all the training, paid all the money, went through the background checks, the psych checks, and then just did something really stupid, right? So uh, anyway, it says the guards allegedly were sneaking an array of contraband into the prison. Fentanyl, fentanyl, man, that stuff will kill you in a heartbeat. Ecstasy, synthetic marijuana, prescription pills, alcohol, and tobacco by hiding the drugs under their clothing and in their hair. Now, honestly, I think they had it up their rear end. That'd be the backpack part or in their vagina. So, uh, or men do the same thing. It's just really kind of gnarly. Some even, okay, here we go. This Ziegler said some even put it in their body cavities. It fuels violence by creating black market products. We will not tolerate it. Such contraband was highly sought after. A strip of Suboxone. Suboxone is a product intended to wean uh, addicts off of opiates. Got that? That's what we use here local a lot. It costs $10 on the streets, but it can get you $50 behind bars. They described a sophisticated network in which drugs were left at designated stash locations, such as in the library. Prisoners who held jobs allowed them to walk around and took orders from other inmates and accepted deliveries from corrupt guards. Prisoners passed around smuggled cell phones to pay for their contraband with Western Union money orders and PayPal. Some guards exchanged the drugs for sex, prosecutors wrote. Prosecutors alleged Lieutenant Owen Nesmith, 50, sexually assaulted three inmates. Now, it's interesting because the guys who did the PREA training at Yuba County, they brought up this thing. They said, I want you just to just imagine you've been working here for years, and now... Uh, we not only have you on administrative leave, but the district attorney, because of whatever your activities were, arrests you. And now you're in jail and you bail out. But now your name is in the paper. Everybody knows your family. It's in a small town. And you're going to fight this for probably a year or so. And so you're just royally screwed up. Now, two other prison guards in Maryland were indicted in a case uh, they're Patricia McDaniel, 26, and Jane Griffin, 40. Both women had s relationships with prisoners, sexual relationships. I want you to think about that. Think about that woman, that 41-year-old woman that thought she was a reincarnation from Mary. She said, I was Mary in a previous life. And, uh, and she loves to go to that Burning Man thing and, like, strut her stuff over there. So uh, I want you to think about that because... This Nesmith faces a maximum of life in prison. You kidding me, man? He just have a sex with a couple women. In January 2018, 18 people, including two guards, were charged with smuggling heroin, cocaine, and cell phones into the nearby maximum security prison in Jessup. A year-long wiretap investigation led authorities to the smuggling ring. The guards were sentenced to three years of suspended prison terms. They never even got prison. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Maybe they just sat in jail all that time. I don't know. Well, it just goes to show you that, uh, you know what, I, I know the, uh, 
the Yuba County guys were concerned about me being too familiar with the prisoners. And they said, Lou, you can't do that in jail. I said, what can't you do? You can't hug somebody. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't transport people. I said, well, you guys are the ones that asked me to transport people. And they said, well, you can shake their hand. That's about it. So anyway, when they were lecturing, and or not lecturing, but training everybody on how to stay out of trouble and do your job and help people, uh, it was a pretty serious talk. But while I was there, I was reflecting about all the agencies that have been in trouble that haven't been following this training that's been around like for, I don't know, 14, 15 years. And they just ignore the training because they got they got the hot they're hot to trot over some female or some guy in there, and uh, they want to get it on right. And they put everybody at risk. They put their career at risk. They put the department at risk. They put their wife at risk. Their children at risk by entering into a relationship that they shouldn't. So uh, anyway, it's a sobering thing when you work in the with the government. And I just kept thinking of all these different agencies. So at one time, which not today, but before, uh, not too long ago, the Sutter County Sheriff's Department had a big problem and had to arrest one of its members. The uh, Certainly the Sutter County, the Sutter County has been loaded with, with a mess. The Sutter County uh, District Attorney's Office was, was just replete with sexually charged environment, totally crazy. So uh, I appreciate the guys concerned about me, keeping me out of the hot water over there at Yuba County, and I think they're doing a good job trying to keep their people up to date and trained and squared away. And uh, all that. Did you know that this was, uh, as we close, this is uh, Dispatchers Week, I think. And we, we delivered chocolates to all the dispatchers and stuff a week ago or so. But we didn't land on exactly. It was actually the first part of the month was Volunteer Week. So we just went ahead and just spread some chocolate all over the community and the, the nurses, the docs, the cops, dispatchers. So we just want to give a shout out to all the dispatchers who you never can get to see they're they're showing some pictures of them on facebook uh but normally you don't get to see but they do an amazing job actually if you wanted to be a dispatcher you could probably do what we call a sit-along you know it's a ride-along if you're riding a patrol car but it's a sit-along if you sit with a dispatcher and watch what she or he does all night and it's pretty darn amazing so uh we thank you for listening today and we'll be back next week and this is uh, no Hostages Radio, and we'll be back for another three hours on Saturday next week.